Welcome in to another episode of the Big Red Louie Podcast. This is your host, Jacob Lane. Alongside of me, I got my good friend, Presley Meyer, and Alex Stingle. It's been a big week for Louisville sports. Actually, you know, it's been pretty quiet. I'm not going to lie. It's it's like, what do you call it, purgatory, when it's the first week of sports? Purgatory. Purgatory. It's a, it's a hard G. It's a hard G. I clearly missed that one. So this week, not a whole lot going on. It's uh, been a slow week so far, but a wild weekend. Exactly, and it's it's pretty cool that this time of year we're we're talking about baseball in June, like really cool, you know, because it's every year this time is typically Reds basketball, the, of the division, yep, or you got Louisville basketball or you got Louisville football. Mostly a lot of basketball talk, but obviously as you get closer, people get excited for football. We don't have to listen to Bobby Vitrino go, you know, I got some really fast guys out there on the field, really excited about their work ethic. No, you got actual speed. We're going to talk about speed later. Keith Wynn of the Carter Chronicle is going to join the show. We're also going to talk about Donovan Mitchell. His new shoes come out uh, over the next the course of the next couple of weeks with Eric Woodyard of the Desert News. Uh, and we're going Desert. to talk a lot, of, as we're here, we're going to talk about baseball to start. Let's talk about, as we think back on the end of the baseball season, to possibly one of the weirdest moments of Louisville sports the last few years, like... Yeah, You're in the middle of a game against one of the best programs in the country, and the game happens the way that it does, and for weeks they're talking about, or days they're talking about a player saying a cuss word. Like, I just want to throw out there, uh, what is it, that any publicity? is, is Good publicity. I mean, yeah. if I was an 18-year-old um, pitcher, and I was an elite one looking to join a, a college, one, I think everybody uh, around the Louisville program knows how good of a guy Luke Smith is. I mean, he was... Visiting a children's hospital with the team the the morning he pitched an amazing game uh, against Vanderbilt. I think it was a moment that got blown completely out of proportion, uh, first off. And, and secondly, I think because of social media, just things seem way bigger than they are. Um, because if anybody is around college sports, they know every sport there is jawing back and forth. It's not just one. It's not one-sided. But secondly you know, emotion happens in games. I mean, it's real. And and Luke Smith even said that on Twitter, uh, acknowledging that, and he apologized and he fessed up to it. But I think in general, it was just a, it was a close game. It was a, a very intense game. Rivalry and, game. Right, absolutely. Um, but yeah, Win, I, I, I think it got blown game. out of proportion. Yeah. I mean, and I think the cool thing, um, both of them had maybe a little bit of a negative connotation to it, but Louisville's pitching staff got a lot of attention over the last couple of weeks. Uh, first with, with the Michael McAveen thing where right. he said yeah, that Ump's call was terrible. Um, not even to the ump. He just said, that's horrible. terrible. Horrible, that's horrible. Right? He could have been, yeah. Yeah, horrible. oh, that's yeah, horrible. It's the H word. Right. It's we're the gonna, H we're going to get you, we're, if you don't say it right, we're going to kick you out of here for four that's games. Horrible. Started I mean, horrible. He could have been talking about the weather. Yeah, right. He could have yeah. been talking about, you know, somebody yeah. behind home play. We know he wasn't talking about that, but yeah, he could have yeah, been. I mean, he could have been talking about any number of things. Um, but no, I mean, it's crazy that literally PTI and around the horn and all yeah. that stuff, they're, they're talking about. And not to mention that, but. Yeah, you have stories that are national news, but like you almost got a no hitter, like in the middle of all of that. Like yeah, their right. pitching from beginning to end was incredible, with yeah. or without McAveen. I and mean, guess it what? was crazy. Guess what? what? It all comes back next year. It does. The whole right. pitching staff, right. except for maybe one player. I think. Yeah. So here's where I stand, though. If you're if you're a competitor of any sport, and what you do when you do it, whether you you're playing like on the biggest stage of them all, or whether or not you're just competing, like. If you don't have some kind of fieriness in you, like you, you've never competed at a high level. And I'm not saying I've competed at a high level because I'm 
not athletic, athletically gifted, but right. when I compete in anything, like it gets me going. And sometimes in basketball games or other events, like, yeah, sometimes that comes out of you. Is it necessarily the best thing to happen? No. But like that's you hear people saying like I want this guy on my team. Yeah, like give me a guy who is going to show some emotion while they're playing, something that they care about. Like that's what I want to see. Right, and clearly the national pundits don't watch college baseball that often. Randy Scott was embarrassing. Like just embarrassing that somebody would say the things that they did without having any understanding of what they're what they're getting at with that kind of following. Yeah, and just from the fact that you know when it got highlighted on some of these talk shows on ESPN and things like that. I mean, a guy just sees a clip one time. Yeah has a quick opinion about it. I think I almost got most offended when one of them actually said that, uh, you know, even his hair was, was terrible. And first off, if you ever watch college baseball, that is part part of one of the enduring things about it is that when you get to the playoffs, teams love to have terrible haircuts. That's actually a sign of, of, of respect in college baseball. It's disrespectful. Who has the most haircut? yeah, Yeah. Who has the most badass haircut? I mean, I think that's, yeah. So when you're making fun of that, clearly they don't they don't watch college baseball that often. I don't, so I don't talk about my Division three golf days very you often because you nobody, should tell everybody and brag nobody, about it. Nobody Absolutely. cares at all. It's more than what we have. I wore slacks and a white belt pretty much everywhere I went for four years, and I told more guys than Luke Smith did the other day to go f off. Yeah. So <laughs> and that's hey, golf. That's the most basketball. So I got the most pretentious douchey thing ever. And if, if you don't think that guys aren't on a football field just because they're wearing helmets and you can't read their lips all the time, yeah. they're not saying F you every single play, then you're delusional. Like every single every single sport, people cuss. Every single sport, people's um, anger gets the best of them sometimes. Yeah. And that game would not have been as fun and Louisville would not have been as competitive for the entire year if they didn't play with that chip on their shoulder, yeah. back against the wall mentality. Like if our players weren't telling other players to go F themselves, especially their biggest rival, then I'd be concerned. So <laughs> That is wild. That, what? If you're a coach, you don't want them like yelling F you at the other team just for fun, right? <laughs> I do. <laughs> no way. Yes. I, I always hope like honestly, like I was already envisioning like him holding like the MVP of the World College World Series trophy. Yeah. Just like throwing up the middle I fingers. Do, I do just... love bat flips though. Like I would love to see a bat flip any day of the week. Right. So yeah. pitchers have to have something. Yeah, right. If you're I mean, bat that's... flipping, I'm going to be yelling at you and I might say a cuss word every yeah, once in a while. Sorry, you, buddy. You might have to do the Kenny Power like flying double D at the crotch just yeah. like just as you're walking over to to uh, the dugout, you know. just Presley. Yes. Real quick. What is the longest drive you had during a match? longest drive in college i think i've actually hit a longer drive now that i that i got out because i you know now i can play the power draw and hit three ob around and not give a crap but when what i are was you talking way about? too detailed what are you talking no. about man? what is okay. the longest and, and recorded drive you had you wonder i'm genuinely okay. curious okay i played division three golf let's not get too serious about it well, no i just meant like, like if you said like, you talked trash on the course i, say, I just was wondering I mean, like over, did you hit a bomb and then like turn around yeah definitely over 300 yards no i never okay so I can't do that. I'd so, be bragging yeah, with that. I'd absolutely. With that. It, who cares what level? The, long, don't have to know the longest that. drive that I've hit on the fly um, recently, and I don't. I play like once a month now. Was three twenty seven. That was recently. Recently, oh, but, humble brag. Yeah. <laughs> that's not. That's also. I like. I like hit like three ob around. So that's what I'm is three ob. Out, out of bounds. What do you? Oh, oh okay. Uh, yeah, see, so. yeah. Who, no, who like, abbreviates out okay. of bounds with ob? Ob. That's literally I know, I know anybody. I, anybody who plays golf. No, so. I don't think that's a thing. Okay, but anyways, um, no, I mean, like, I don't think in college golf that 
we were like trash talking each other on the course because you got to spend freaking you got to spend like five but, hours but with the it same doesn't two matter guys. Like, it doesn't matter you don't have to be trash talking but you have no, to be no. like if you're but, competitive you got like that edge like oh for sure o- other coaches for sure i, I told them to go up themselves multiple times okay like, in golf i can't see a reason for that but right right and you know i'm I don't consider myself a, a horrible person, but I mean that happens all the time. Like f bombs on the golf course, that's like a tradition, like unlike any other. Yeah. No, but bringing it back yeah. to baseball, like I don't think anybody that actually follows the the Louisville baseball program, if 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 they knew how Dan McDonald is as a person, not even right. as a coach, which I think they do. Right. Yeah. I mean, just to the national, you know, media that wanted to criticize him so much. I mean that. I just think it's ridiculous because that's not what his program stands for. And, I mean, he's right. an amazing person. And, right. And his uh, players are too. Like, I mean, right, it, absolutely. It, it, the kid made his mistake. But yeah. if you're a fan and you're upset about, like, you're just so upset about it, I'm upset that you're upset. Why are you upset? Like, it's well, a they, game. Like, why don't you want to see some competitive fire? It, and they really sorry. got there a year early. That's right. the crazy right. part. Forget like, all I, that. Throw that off. Like, I, if you have a problem with that, like, in terms of just a guy being competitive and how it comes out, like, you can't be a fan of sports. Like they didn't lose that game because he did that. Right. Like, yeah. Been all the, the whole game. all the karma stuff on, yeah. on Twitter and all that. Right. That was ridiculous. No, that's baseball. Right. That, that is baseball. That's how it you're works. Gonna, the ball bounces you're, away. You're gonna it, brag after that strikeout. That was ridiculous. It, that it, that pitch was awesome. I it saw it felt, live. It was right. incredible. It felt that way. Like at at the time, like it felt like okay, maybe karma was in play. But like there's so much stuff that happens. Like. If that's if that's the truth, then karma would have been coming Vanderbilt's way after they were dropping homophobic slurs, after they were yeah. you know charging off the bench and you know like what okay allegedly homophobic slurs we don't know just Controversy. like we don't we don't know that Luke Smith actually said f you no he there's yeah. a if you look on Twitter there's a, a like just a pure number a high number of things he could have said yeah he could have said vacuum yeah how he do you know said, he didn't say that he like, could have said Fluff too, fluff yeah. too. There's all like, there's yeah. all kinds of things. Yeah, like said. Peyton Manning type so it's stuff. A, it's allegedly. Like, yeah, he allegedly said I think that. That, that K was for you. There yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah, that was for you. Here's a gift to you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I do but, like the Vanderbilt rivalry. I just want to say that in general. I want to like baseball. Like I, I it's good, but I, I enjoy that more. we have a team that. I, no, absolutely, but it makes it more of a challenge at the same time. I don't like Vanderbilt baseball. I don't know why. I just don't. Exactly, and that's what makes it great. Is that is that we get this deep into? I don't like their uniform. We get. As Louisville fans, we get to go this deep into the season yeah. for sports. I'm just and, tired and of we get to do that way, with a rival team, and They're, it just makes it yeah. that much better. They're always in the way. Like if Louisville is losing in any type of postseason play, you're like, oh, well, oh I guess it was Vanderbilt. Like yeah. it's just become that's. I think it's, so, I think it's great that they have a team in every sport that yeah. that we're chasing and and have that yeah. you know kind of like chip on our shoulder against. They, I, I they, think it's awesome that we get to cheer for three major sports. Bro, we talked golf for like 20 minutes. like And softball. Four, four we talked ago. track and field we last week, right? Yeah, we talked, yes, track and well, field. Louisville Athletics is on fire. And that, that's, what and I told a, about it. that's what I told a Vandy fan online. I'm like, yeah. enjoy it now because I was like, you guys have eight more months of just. Hey, man, I like Gary Stackhouse. <laughs> I think that's a good hire. I do. I, I do. Say. I'm just saying in general, it felt good to say. I, you know, you Which, have one major sport right now. Yeah. Whatever. It's, I guess the last I'll thing I'll it. say about that was just that. I don't even think it would, it would be a non-discussion if Louisville closed that game out because then you have a game three. Like that's not that's not the talk. The talk was, oh, it's karma because Luke Smith said a, a the, yeah word. he said a body word. Luke Smith said a bad word, and now every, and then I did, Vanderbilt scores two runs in the ninth. I, I mean, loved how ESPN slow mode it 
yeah. going into the and commercial. Then, and that was oh, the be- oh, that's oh, what that started is. the whole controversy. Yeah. Is people just watched it in slow yeah. motion. And then it was the announcers too. Commercial. They're like, oh, that's just inexcusable. Yeah, like, he said the potty word. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. everybody knows baseball is a game of integrity. Like, right. you can right. have tobacco, but you can't have curse words. So it, it was a, a unfortunate loss on the diamond on the football field. Uh, well, technically off the football field, Louisville has won in a big way since the last time. We were all together last week on the uh, episode seven of you the could Big Red Podcast. Won it in a pretty big way. It was pretty big. If you haven't heard by now, I don't know what you've been listening to or looking at, but Joe Purdy has recently called Louisville his home for the next four years. Four-star quarterback out of Arizona, like th- the guy that every Louisville fan wanted. Didn't I don't know about you guys. I didn't see it happening this quick. Like I, I'm shocked that like it was all of a sudden you hadn't heard anything and then bam, commitment. Like. I think it was fun to talk about uh, a four-star elite QB committing, um, like Chubba Purdy, early, early when Satterfield, uh, you know, started getting a little bit of recruiting momentum. I mean, we had multiple conversations between ourselves, and it was mainly joking. But I mean, it was it was a lot of you know what ifs, like yeah. if if he if we as a university can land him, what are the ramifications of that? Whether yeah. it be recruiting, whether it be just a you know, a marquee commit for the program. Uh, you know, and th- those were fun conversations, but now it's actually happened. So so now it's really going to be fun to see. Right. Uh, one, obviously, uh, you know, later in our interview with, with Keith, how he said Louisville's really going to try to take 28 to 29 guys this season. You know, what's the rest of our class going to look like now that we have a four-star elite QB Um uh, I mean, to really have, have third, it on the mantle. There's still yeah. a third of the class left to go. Right. You know, and, and I think that the most exciting part is that the kids who are going to commit committed already because they wanted to get in before some of these other guys might come in. Right. Um, and w- what I mean by that is that some of the guys that have committed, um, they their other biggest offers were maybe a lesser Power 5 team or maybe an FCS-type team. Um, and I'm not saying that that's any, there's anything wrong with that. Like, I think that these are names that, um, are underrated. The coaches had them on the radar on, for a reason. They got offers for a reason. But at the same time, um, when your second biggest offer is Tulane or Charlotte or you know whatever whatever the case is, which is only a handful of guys, but I think you got a lot of commits so early on because Louisville was the first Power Five team or maybe second or third Power Five team to offer them. Um, it, I mean, do you guys disagree with that at all? But I, I, I think that I think that there's a lot more high three-star and four-star guys still out there on the board. So that's what excites me the most is that I think going down the stretch, if there's, what, 20 commits now, which means that there's eight or nine left to go. Um, I would say of those eight or nine commits, I mean, at least one or two are going to be four-star guys. Um, yeah. So that's that's the kind of stuff – that's you, the stuff that excites me um, for the rest of the recruiting class. Last week we discussed, um, you know, the foundation – of this recruiting class is going to be built on on those solid three-star guys that really fit their system. Right. We have that now. Yep. And I think to your point, we have enough room left in this class to start really being selective. Right. I, I think... Yeah, uh, they haven't even played a game yet, man. Right. right. And, it, and it's crazy to think about, but, you know, last week, even when we mentioned with the recruits that they were, you know, really... Uh, in depth with at App State and where they landed afterwards. It's right. it's crazy. Like these guys are awesome, awesome evaluators of talent, mm-hmm. and I think it's starting to show. Um, but yeah, the the momentum is going to be crazy to see, especially now that we have 
uh, almost a third of the roster left to see uh, how we can be more selective in certain yeah. spots. Yeah, and I think that this is a, a big a big commitment for a lot of reasons. Number one, you get the quarterback that, that you want. like So he's going to be your guy, and so is T-Webb to an extent. But in terms of being able to go out and get a high-level four-star guy with you know legit offers and kind of have some validation behind it, like you get the guy that you want. He's perfect fit. And to me, this is the biggest commitment we've had since Lamar Jackson because it's going to be the third quarterback that kind of ushered in a new era, right? So you go back and right. you have Teddy Bridgewater with Charlie Strong, Lamar Jackson with Bobby Petrino. Like, this is going to be Scott Satterfield's guy, so we think. So this is kind of setting up the, the pillar of the next era, and to get it this early without playing any football, is it's just unfathomable. Like, you don't see that a whole lot of times. Right, and I think it... it to even more of that point, um, I think it's crazy that T-Webb and Chubba, uh, if I know correctly, they're both going to be early enrollees. No, Chubba said he won't be. He okay. Won't, and he won't be. He's going to stay for his full senior year. I forget All where right. I saw that, but he, I think that was uh, uh, Cardinal Sports Town. So well, I, you are correct about T-Webb. I, I think the dynamic, though, mm-hmm. okay, so you have T-Webb coming in early, um, you know, that can... Presumably, you you have a little jump on things mm-hmm. in terms of the process, right? You know how they want things run, weightlifting, all that, all that stuff. I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, the competition between them because both of them are elite quarterbacks. I mean, everybody talks about how T. Webb was the backup to now Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. So, you know, I think it's going to be an amazing practice every single day. That that's that's his equal right there. That he's right. he's working to to beat him out for a spot. I think it's going to be incredible. Yeah, and you get two guys who really present you with different things. And I think what it's going to be to start. Well, obviously it's going to depend on what happens with the quarterback situation this year. But like it's going to depend on. Okay, we've got running backs that can do this. We've got great receivers. So maybe we throw T T out there because he's the better pure passer. Or maybe we need another threat offensively we don't have great weapons or maybe they don't, you know, we want to do something a little bit different Then maybe Chubb is the guy. I'm not saying you play two quarterbacks, but what I'm saying is they give you two different things that you can kind of say, my offense does this really well. So I need a quarterback who has this specific skill. And so they both know they're not coming in as the guy. They got to compete and they got to show that they can do those things. And that's where the battle is going to be won there, depending upon if you don't have a guy coming back in year two, who is the guy like you have no idea if it's going to be, Juwan could step forward, Malik could step forward, Evan Conley could be the guy. So like you really don't know, but those two guys are coming in with the mindset of like this job is open and I'm going to get it. Right, and I think it's going to raise everyone's everyone's level in a sense of of, of that quarterback core. Looking at um, I have the the all-time commit list um on 247 Sports pulled up in front of me. Um if you've looked this up, don't answer. But where do you think Chubba Purdy falls according to Ooh. the scouts rankings All right. on the all-time list? So I know what, Michael what Bush number? is number one. Yep. I'm pretty sure Brian Brom is number two. That is correct. And yep. then Peanut Whitehead is number three. That's correct. And then Michael Dwyer, and even though he was a transfer, they star yeah, him. He's, yeah, he's he's not on here. Okay. All right. Sorry. So I'm adding what? in transfers. I'm trying to think so of there's who another else. local guy who's number four. Devontae Parker? Nope. No, no Devontae Parker is like... Outside the top 100. I don't know. Another local guy. Local guy. Easy. Easy. All-American. Recent. James Quick? Yes. Okay. Correct. Okay. And uh, then Chubba? No. Oh, no, Keith no, Brown's no, no. up there. Um, Nick Dawson is up there. Yeah, so, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read you. All right. Just give me the close okay. to where he is. All right. So he's in, he's in the teens. Okay. 
14th. Okay. Okay, so here, here's the all-time list. So you you got the first three right. Michael Bush, Brian Brum, Peanut Whitehead, James Quick, Gerard Holloman, which he, he was a uh, prep guy. He was a prep guy. Yeah. Uh, Teddy was number six. Brandon Heath, Keith Brown, Earl Heyman, Whitney Terrain, wow. James Taylor, Devontae Fields, who's a transfer, yeah. Yeah. Juwan Pass, Chubba Purdy. They're going to have two of their top – 14 is that what you said yeah two of the top on campus playing quarterback together most likely correct like that's wild that's nuts yeah Uh, with an actual qb coach rounding out the top 20 nick dawson michael harris i got a couple of these guys gerard holloman again cj avery colin wilson who i already talked about this with you guys today breaks my heart jaris brintz who's another guy who just breaks my heart so the two the rounding out the top 20 you got two guys who were just complete i don't want to say busts no but they just didn't pan out yeah yeah it just didn't pan out which Sounds it's the same it's the same everywhere, but it still sucks. It's heartbreaking to think about. It's the same with Louisville basketball. Yeah. For so many years, Patino was going after these top ten guys, landing top ten guys, and then for one reason or another, just either didn't pan out at Louisville or they just never came here. So um I'm you know, it is it is what it is. Um but no, it, it's good. That's that's a, just something I wanted to throw out there. The fourteenth ranked commitment of all time according to two four seven sports. Yeah. And and now what they get to do is they get to go from being, you know, some of the kids who committed are, like you said, that's their first Power 5 offer. I want to get committed now. Mm-hmm. These guys can say, we got 10 spots. Like, we're going to be selective of we want this guy. And if that guy doesn't work out, we want this guy. Like, they're going to go down their list, and they're going to prioritize now some of these top guys who they can spend all their attention on through the entire school year. Like, you know, just – and as they get better on the field – so you could see, you know, three, four. Maybe that's a bit much, but you're going right. to see some, some like you're going oh, to see some four stars yes. commit, some top guys who you want to see on the football field for Louisville, and that is going to continue to push them forward as a program. Like, and, that's just huge. Right, and, and taking a quick step back, I mean, what do you think that means in general when you have such an elite QB and just overall commit ratings-wise commit to a program that, that – as you said, has some guys in this same class that he's committing with that, you know, really don't have any power five offers. I mean, right. what it, I think that really shows, you know, that, that really speaks to the staff to me. Right. Well, I mean, in, in uh, I was evaluation Italian, and they, I think they sold him, they sold Chubba on that as right. we know what we're doing. I right. know some of these kids that you're committing with don't have the accolades right. that you might in terms of an offer sheet. Yeah, I, th- I think. But here's how they fit in our system with you. I, I tend to be of this thought, and this is a little weird, but I tend to think of the 19 and 20 classes together because the, the 19 right. class was just like, we have six weeks. We got so Right, like, exactly. Is, to me, this is one big recruiting class. Yep. When you look at some of the guys just at the top of the list of who they've gotten, including Chuba, you go back and you look at Zach Edwards, you go back and you look at Jadarian Boykin, you get Kobe Baines, Henry Bryant. Like, they are getting they're getting dudes like they're getting better and in two years the talent upgrade and just the overall depth is going to be tenfold what we've seen now and i think that that's what you're seeing with some of these commitments early on is some of these guys who like he fits this specific role on third down and 11 we're going to need somebody who can drop back into coverage and is just really good at, at picking off passes or playing in coverage maybe they're not great at this and you're going to need specific role players who have a certain spot and do a certain thing and provide depth in the meanwhile that's what they're building with some of the back end of this class, and that's exciting. Right, and you mentioned J- Jadarian Boykin, Boykin um, who is the top-rated player of last year's class. Where do you think he was ranked, just real quick? Oh, he's... In, in all-time, all-time Louisville rankings. 18th. 31st. 31st, okay. So so you have a guy who's you know almost 
doubly as high up, up, up on the list if that makes sense. I don't, I don't, I don't doubly. Know that, I don't know doubly. the word. Doubly. Okay. So out of the, the other thing I was going to say was um, out of the top 250 guys yep. to commit to Louisville state-wise, yep. where's the, what's the number one state that Louisville's gotten uh, of their top 250 guys? Georgia. Florida's number okay. one. Georgia's Six, two. Georgia's 67, 67 guys okay. out of the top 250 have been from Florida. Number two is Georgia. Yeah. Number th- 46. Number three is easy one. Kentucky. Kentucky. Okay. Um, then Ohio, Alabama. Yeah, I was going to say Ohio. California. I was going to say Mississippi. They've had a lot of guys from Mississippi over the years. I think it's where uh, Jalen Smith is from. How many guys from Arizona? Two. That's correct. All right. I don't. I don't now know. Now we've got two in the last in the last two classes. Let me, let me see if it tells me. The Des Melton and Chubba Purdy, both of them from Arizona, so they're wow, winning out in Arizona, setting up a pipeline. Now, name name the third guy that we've ever got ever from Arizona ever since the recruiting ranking started. Pio Vadavue. Nope. Nope. It's uh Khalil Hunter. Okay. Yeah, because he was random. from uh he was from a community college out there, which I cannot Eastern remember. Eastern Arizona Community College. They also had a running back committed. Greg Bell at one point played yes, out in Arizona yes, and ended up yeah, ended up going to Nebraska. Anyways, I digress. Let's talk a little bit of 2020 football. We are in sports purgatory. Hard G. I got that right this time. And right now, what we're seeing is a lot of lists and different rankings and just different things that kind of come out that are just nuggets to get you excited for a season, whether it's basketball or football. Today, FanDuel released the over-under win rankings for every program across college football, including Louisville, including Kentucky. And I think it's a, I think it's a real talking point because we have been kind of building our way up to this point of where does Louisville stand in the wins? What, what games on their schedule are winnable? Who are we going to be going up against? So what are your guesses? Maybe you know. I hope you don't know. What's what was the over under for Louisville? Did you guys see? It's got to be four. I mean, you in, looked, and even four, you looked. I've I've heard I've heard way too much sports talk radio lately. Yeah. That's what do you think? Four, high, low, over, under? What would you go? I think four is push nationally, like right where it needs to be. I I think we've talked for weeks about uh, three and a half to four is is the bar or not the. Like in terms of the expectation for that's us, a low point. Yeah, right. yeah like yeah. that—that's what I. Ex- that's my expectation to where like I I will not be disappointed. You know, we talked about this. It's realistic. I think the team's still moving in the right direction at four wins, but we also talked about how realistic it can be if this team gets a little bit of momentum. You can upset the FSU's. You can upset a couple of these teams on the schedule uh, to get that fifth or even. Sixth win. Right. I'm not really gonna so curse you, us like that. What's your prediction? Over under. What do you say? I'm gonna go over. Over. Yeah. Okay. Go over. Okay. What do you think? Yeah. So and here here's the thing. I, I don't know if you remember. Maybe a month and a half ago, we had the same a similar conversation. Maybe not as in depth. Just like talking real quick about what the expectations would be. We were talking about you know probably playing close games with Eastern and Western Kentucky. I mean, I think that was the conversation. So, and I heard Brian Hall, shout out Hall about sports. I, I heard him talking about this on the radio earlier today about how our expectations always get ramped up as it did last season. You know, last season going after we lose Lamar Jackson, we're like, yeah, they're probably like, you know, a bowl team. Right. right? And then by the time the season starts, after you hear from Bobby Petrino, after one Bobby Speed speech, City, we're better. Yes. Like all of a sudden, me and Jacob, we wrote our preseason article, and I, I think you had 10 wins as your expectation, and mine was nine. Yeah. I mean, just I'm not proud cold, of it. Cold yeah. takes exposed. And that's that's the offseason. It's built right. to get you hyped. Like right. they're, they're not releasing these 30 second videos for their enjoyment. Like they 
this is a marketing ploy no, to take tickets. footage. Oh, they're yeah, enjoying yeah, stuff. I mean, they are. But what they, I'm saying they is, they aren't the ones doing that. Like it's it's being done to market the program a certain way and to get you excited. And everybody right. does that. Well, that's, that's why I was joking about the the famous Puma Pass sprinting in the sand photo that got discussed yeah, and, yeah. and circulated yeah. about. Oh, look He's how intense he is! Oh my god, his it's nickname crazy. is Puma. He looks like a Puma. Yeah, he right. looks so fierce. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and then yeah, go out and two and ten. And right. Well, I mean, let's just let's just go through it. You want to go through the schedule? Let's sure. Just do it. Yeah, I mean, quickly, yeah. So, let's let's, yeah, go. Yeah. let's yeah. just go. Win, win or lose. Don't even go percentage. No. Okay. Win or lose. Notre Dame. Lose. Everybody go over it. Yeah. Lose. Yeah. So there's your one. Eastern one Kentucky. Win. Win. Yep. Pretty confident about that. Western Kentucky. Win. 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 Right? Nashville. Yeah. What up? We are it's gonna next. be a party in Nashville, man. Yes. I can't wait. So that you haven't gotten your ticket yet. Yeah. So where does that put us? So that's um, so we're two, two and one. one. Consensus so two and one. Everybody can track of their own. Let's break it break it down by three. Okay. So, so they're first, two and one in the first three. The first segment, we're doing great. You win two your first one. segment. That's a great start. That, but and it's also super important. Win your first, your first segment. Like go if you go one and two there, right? That's not that's not great time. No, no, that's a that's not a great you time. You got to win both. Yeah. So Absolutely. two and one. All right, keep going. Um, Florida State. I'm gonna go loss. I don't see it. I'm going win. I think that's the one we can actually upset. I think. I think. Taggart is obviously on the hot seat down there. Yes, yeah. they are having a, a solid recruiting class at the moment, but I really don't think he turns around in time. Yeah, we can upset them. I'm gonna go lost the time. Yeah, I'm gonna go win, but I'm gonna go. I mean, it's gonna be close. It's gonna be kind of. Yeah. Okay. So all right, keep going. So what that would put me at two and two. That puts you at three. We're both at three and one. one. Jeez. Yeah. I know. Right. What? Right. Can you imagine but, how pumped we will be as fans if they go three but, and one? I just want you to think about how backloaded the schedule no, is. No, it definitely is. Okay, all right. So. Boston College is next date, so they have over a week off, and then they so they go to, to Florida State, come back yeah. home. They got Boston College at home. I'm gonna say loss. I'm gonna go win on that one, even though AJ Dillon worries the heck out of me. That's what I'm saying. AJ Dillon didn't play us last year, and, and they still ran for 300 yards. Two running backs went over 110. Like it, that game was wild, rushing the football. Horrifying. What do you got? I have that as a win. I forgot a four and one, ladies and gentlemen. I, I like I it. was trying to think of who Boston College plays uh, prior to coming to Louisville. They I believe somebody. they play Clemson, do they not? Yes, they do. Yeah, yes, that off. was – okay, because I remember having that conversation with you thinking, hey, I know this is probably going to be my – Yeah, but my, you get beat by Clemson. I think everybody gets – they're used to getting beat by Clemson, so it's not look, like – No, but it does – I mean, that puts a physical toll, though, because, I mean, that's a that's yeah. a hard game. And here's the thing. There, I mean, there is – like, I'm, I'm not – like, this is not even, like, the fan in me, but, like – there's a chance. There is a chance they could start four and one. I think there's a. Golly, I cannot imagine. I can't let chance. myself. I can't I, let myself. Right, go right now, what am I at? Two and three, three and one. I'm at no, three and two. I'm sorry. No, I'm you're at three and two. You're at four and one. Yeah, yeah I'm, three I'm three. And two. I'm yeah. fully pumping sunshine. Which, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, by are. the way, absolutely. If we're at three and two guy. at this point in the season. It's a win. Like yeah, that's a win. That's a big win. You're still winning your segment. Absolutely. All right. Um, what we so got next? The, to end this segment, um, they go to Wake Forest. Win. I'm gonna say win. And keep in mind, Wake Forest is the last kind of like 50-50 game on the schedule. No, Greg Dorch. That's the difference yeah, maker there. Yeah. Five and one it is. Thanks, wow. Jacob. Mike. Thanks, Jacob. <laughs> We're rolling. All right. Yeah. I All right. Have, four and two, five and one. I'm still flip flopping the BC game in my head. I'm like, I think they're gonna go one and two. Okay, keep going. The next week they come back home, host Clemson. Do loss. Yeah. Automatic loss, zero yeah. percent chance. I think I'm at three and three now. Um, and then they stay at home the next week and host Virginia. Loss. Loss. 
Yeah, Here's I think that's what I really that's do think. Clemson beats. I mean, like they they pound you. Yeah, but Louisville's going into a stretch here that's just going to be yeah, ridiculous. Okay, so, so I'm at three and four. I think I'm at five and three. Hey guys, we only need one more. Let's pull this out. You're I'm, at five and two. There's seven no, games, no. right? Oh, so I'm so I'm at, I'm at four and three. You're at four and three. Alex is at five and two. At this okay, point. all right. Let's right? go. What's right? next? Yeah, I don't uh, know how I got there. Travel week off. So keep in mind this year there's two there's two bye weeks. Yeah. Every team has two bye weeks. It's one every seven years they have two bye weeks. Um this is one of them. They travel to Miami. A loss. <sighs> loss. I think it's I think it's a no, loss. They too. can't handle Miami's defense. I, it's gonna be a great game, but they their I, offensive line. I think they're gonna lose that. and I think they're gonna lose like seventeen to thirteen. Oh, that, if you win that game though, man. That, ooh, oh, buddy. My, man. I had I had them going oh, I had them going one and two. They're winning one of the Florida games. That yeah. that's what I have so in lose, my mind. They lose like, Miami. Yeah. It is crazy. They traveled to Florida Just twice in a season. Yeah, it is. I would like to see the statistics on that. Kelly Dickey, if you're listening, I want to see Louisville's record on going to Florida multiple times in a season. It's happened a lot. It's happened more than you think. Like you know, they played South Florida and Miami the same year. They played South Florida and Central Florida is the only South two Florida I can remember. Yeah, but Florida. you're talking you're talking both away games though. Right, this one. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. I don't know because we had Miami at like at Louisville. I mean that. Yeah. All right. What's, uh, con- what's the next? Continue. One? Um, next week. No, wait. Yeah, the next week, seven days later, uh, they travel to NC State. So that's another tough. That's a tough turnaround. So you're going all the way down to Miami. That going I'm back home for like two days and then going to NC State. I'm going to win there. That's what I I predicted earlier this season. They lose offensive coordinator, offensive line coach. They lose their quarterback, their top two receivers, their top running back lose their best offensive linemen. They lose, I think, four or five different guys on their defense. They're a completely different team, completely new identity. That's a game I think Louisville is going to be able to win. I really do. I think I it's going to be their first big road win. I think Louisville – I think Ledford's going to pump up. Heck that, yeah. That, that his, his band of bros, he is going to pump the crap band out of them. Of bros. Man, they're going to be <laughs> – Before be that scary, game. Because yeah. you know he's going to want to go in there and prove a point. All right, so I got five wins already. So. I'm, I'm going to say win here. Yeah. That win? Yeah, taking right, one more. Well, you're done. You're both season. We're both. So yeah, you can't win any more games under you. I guess. You're going to be at eight and four. All right, what's next? <laughs> uh, next one is senior day game. They're hosting Syracuse. Loss. Yeah. Going loss. I, I think people are not. I saw Syracuse's. By the way, um, I did read an article. I'm not sure if you're referring to the same one, but it had Syracuse's over under at like four and a half. No, no. I thought they were freaking bonkers. Syracuse is a bowl team, hundred percent. You got the link. Uh, Click it up. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll hook it up. What, <laughs> Jacob says, "Speak up." Nope. Yeah, I, I'm I'm saying I I, I'm pretty sure it's got to be seven or eight. Yeah, because Virginia and Syracuse were the two teams Syracuse that were gets really everybody back, but a quarterback who was hurt all the time. So their backup quarterback is essentially. This is true. Okay, so what's next after Syracuse? Who you got? After Syracuse, they travel to UK. Okay, travel to UK. I don't see it. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, this is honestly going to depend on how the rest of UK season goes up to this point. Uh, if it was home, it's a different story. I think so. So I got, I got right now six and five. Okay, so here's going back to Syracuse real fast. the The article that you're referring to is a CBSSports.com article about um, oddsmakers releasing the over under win totals for every single Power Five team. Um, if we're just running through the ACC real quick. Which I think some of these are bonkers. I think some of these I'm I don't bet at all, but I would I would wager on some of these. Clemson eleven and a half. You don't want to touch that. Miami eight and a half. You take an over on Miami eight and a half. No, I'm not taking I'm the over not. on that. No. 
you serious? But that doesn't mean that they're gonna you're gonna beat them. No, no, not at all. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, traveling to Miami's tough, especially when Louisville's the northernmost ACC team. It just is. Uh, Virginia Tech eight and a half, NC State seven and a half, Florida State seven. I'm taking the under there. Wake Forest seven. No. Boston, under. yeah, under there to Boston College six and a half, maybe. I think I'd probably take Duke six and a half, six and a half, Pitt six, Virginia six, Syracuse five. That's that. I'd take the over on that. Dude. But then below that, you have Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and Louisville. Who wins the most games out of those three schools? Quickly, you got. Hold on, hold on. Virginia Tech, North Carolina. No, no, no. no. Georgia Sorry. Tech, North Carolina, and Louisville. The three new coaches. Right. I think uh, it'll I think be. Louisville. I think I mean, it'll be between UNC and Louisville. Yeah, yeah. I, Georgia Tech can't transition from that wonky offense into a new. Well, that's offense the thing. He like, not only do you have a new coach, you have a whole new offensive yeah. system. That you're trying to implement. Is there a game after Kentucky? I'm not. I'm not familiar with no, the schedule. No, 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 yeah. So okay, we so we got the, the final there. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the consensus here, long way about it, beating around the bush, is they can. They've got a good chance to compete at being over that four wins. They yeah. they really do. I mean, there's some games in there that are what you would classify as a 50-50 game. And stuff's gonna happen. Like yeah. right. Like so we, that, all, we all think Virginia is a top 25 consensus team, but that's all because we freaking have a crush on Bronco Mendenhall, and they have a really solid quarterback that had a great year last year, but. Nobody's sitting here thinking about Syracuse's linebacker that they might have lost. Li- or, I'm sorry, Virginia's linebacker they might have lost last year. Nobody's thinking about the implications of Syracuse losing their quarterback. Like, there's a lot of like ins and outs of the season that, like, I mean, I'm not Keith Wynn. Like, I'm not sitting here watching hours and hours of you know Virginia football tape. I'm just you know. So I, I think there's lots of. But there's also a lot of unanswered things for Louisville as well. No, I, so, I mean, you know, I'm, I mean, that, right, that's where that right, 50-50 yeah. really exactly. comes in because we have just as many unanswered as any well, other team right well, now. Well, we have more so, than anybody yeah. because they're transitioning to a new scheme. You have players who were way out of place and they didn't, they, you know, they weren't being coached up to their potential. And not only that, but they didn't care to an extent. Right, so, so I, I really see it almost, you know, as, as cliche as it sounds, like almost having a, a Chris Mack type, type season to where, like, you, you might steal a game early that you really shouldn't have won. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're obviously going to have some frustrating times, uh, maybe losing one or two of those 50-50 games. But I think overall, it could end up being you know, higher expectation-wise uh, than what a lot of fans actually thought they could accomplish in their first season. I think that the, the storyline of this schedule, and we broke it down into thirds, but really if you break it down into three different parts and, and the fourths, if Louisville can somehow be above 500 after Notre Dame, Eastern Kentucky, Western Kentucky, Florida State, if they can do that, the momentum of the entire season can change because, like, yes, you do have – I mean, Clemson is obviously Clemson. Yeah. Um, and, yes, you do have Virginia and Syracuse who are going to be fringe top 25 teams. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you throw Boston College in there who is just – is unpredictable. Um, yeah. You throw NC State in there who's lost everything. You throw Kentucky in there who lost everything. So, like, there, there are so many games on the schedule that – like you look at it and you're like, wow, if you're sitting there at three and one, like no, the expectation probably isn't going to be a bowl game at that juncture still. But at, at the same point, you know, they could go in and steal a couple and all of a sudden this can be a huge success. Right. I'm not saying that it's going to be. I don't think we're going to overplay it like we did last year. I don't think we're going to let that happen to ourselves twice. But at the same time, I, I'm excited for this year because I think the way that the schedule sets up, I think that it's it's not super front loaded. Obviously, starting with a top ten team is not is not ideal, but you have you have three games in a row that are super winnable. See, I think that is a big deal because I think what they're going to see is how hard you have to compete to win a football game. Like That's they're going to see a team who is prepared to go out week in and week out to 
compete for a championship. I mean, Notre Dame is a top five team. Like yep. they're going to see week one, like, okay, we don't either. We stack up and we're in the right direction in terms of like, we, we may not be able to talent to out talent them, but we are competing and we're hanging with them versus if you come out and you just get, you, you know, if you get just curb stomped, like you just get destroyed and you, it puts your confidence in a completely right. different place. Like they just have to compete that first game. Figure out what they're going to look like. Go in and win two games where you're overmatched. Does it show you deserve? Like, look, this isn't the same team of old. And then to me, you lose or win Florida State, same boat as Notre Dame. Just compete in that too. But the the key to me is Wake Forest, Boston College. You got to mm-hmm. win one of those football games. Right. You got to yeah. win one, at least well, one. And I think really, if my hope for the Notre Dame game is that that is that our team comes out feeling at least proud of their effort. Exactly. I, I That's think the if, difference right if there. you come out feeling okay and or even decent about about how you you know put put your effort out there on the field your performance i think that's going to pay huge dividends because obviously with the winnable games coming up with eastern and western then you can really kind of build a small ramp with momentum going into that next section of games i i think that's going to be the key is is keeping it is keeping it competitive with Notre Dame sure not not really feeling like man all right like like Jacob just said we just got walloped and we're nowhere near the likes as good as Notre Dame I think if we can keep it close I think if you know they could trail off in the fourth quarter or something you know just right but keep it close like and keep it competitive and you're like wow we can actually right. win this thing you know all right keep it on the tv screens you yes. know, by the fourth quarter, yes. um, if they can come away feeling decent about their performance, I really think that's going to be the key factor into winning some of those 50-50 games. Last question on. real fast. If Louisville um, comes out, they beat the two teams who they should definitely beat, Eastern and Western Kentucky, lose every other game, finish 2-10 and 10 again, but they're competitive. They don't lose any game by more than like two, three touchdowns. Is that a wash? Is no. that is that a failure of a season? It's disappointing, but it's not a wash. I mean, as long as you don't look like you did a year ago where you're getting absolutely destroyed week in and week out, and not even just getting outworked or getting out-talented. Like, you're just getting killed because you're not trying. Yep. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say two wins is going to be fun, but if you see improvement, but I don't see that. I really don't see that happen. I think you're more likely to get seven wins than you are to get two wins. Like, right. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't see a scenario okay. where they only have two wins at the end of the season unless they're just not that good. I, I really believe all this talk about how much talent we still have in, in the effort level and everyone being on the same page, I think all that's going to culminate. And there's, like Jacob's point, there's no way that that's going to, you know, if if you get two wins, okay, that that's reality. But I really don't see that happening. Yeah. From what we've seen, especially with the with the instant additions of Ty Tyler and, and some of these other guys that can in impact those 50 50 games i think those games that are going to be very close and we really really need a sack or right. a pass rusher or or a stop you know you add ty tyler into the mix we didn't have a guy like that before right and you put a guy like Gigi robinson at a position that maybe he should be playing that he wasn't or you move a quicker guy to the edge or you move schemes like it's there's so many different things i think they're figuring out the right guys for the right things to right. make the plays for those 50 50 games and we talked you, you just mentioned the talent you know? on this team of the top 31, I'm throwing in 31 because we have a player ranked 31st. Of the top 31 players all time to commit to Louisville, how many do you think are in the top 31 on this team? Eight? Six. Six. Which is still good. Do you, can you name the six? C.J. Avery. Mm-hmm. Justin Marshall. Nope. No. Mm-hmm. C.J. Avery. Who's 31? We just talked about it. 
incoming freshman. Jadarian Boykin. Jadarian Boykin. Okay. Zach Edwards. Nope. Give me the year. Oh, you said that. Or give me the recruiting yeah, class. No, the, see, Jadarian Boykin is. Jonathan Grenard. No, he's not on this team. Oh, that's true. He's not on this team, but he <laughs> is probably on that list. That's a terrible guess. Um, right ahead of, of Jadarian Boykin, 30th all time, is Russ East. Um, Interesting. Have, here, here's one that you wouldn't think about Trinell Trapman. Yep. Four star. Yep. 23rd. Mm hmm. Des Fitzpatrick, 22nd. Robert Hicks, 21st. Yep. Um, and then CJ Avery. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of talent on this team. They're, they're jo- definitely. I'm sorry, Jawan Pass. You put guys so in. There's posi- seven. You put seven guys. You put guys on in a position where they're yeah. better, and you coach them, and they believe they and can they, win. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That makes all the difference. And right there. I think that coming in in 2020, I think that we're gonna ha- we're gonna add at least two more to this list. Yeah, and I could totally see it. So totally see it. Louisville football recruiting is in a good spot. The roster is in a good spot. I really feel that they're making the right steps and. That alone, like that sounds corny, but I think that like just the the players seeing it, the coaches seeing it, like everybody believing in it, man, they are really just gonna be able to take a step forward in everything. I know that sounds cliche, but everything. Like, no, really absolutely. Do. Let's transition a little bit and let's talk about Louisville basketball because that's a program who proved in year one of a new coach that they could do just that. We head into year two with Chris Mack in a place that I don't think we saw coming this quick. A team that is perpetually top five in every ranking that you see every once in a while a top 10 this week or uh, actually i think it was today rob dowster of nbc sports puts out an article just a, a deep preview of the acc pretty early on in the summer louisville is a top four team in that meaning that they finish with a double buy and at a good spot to compete for the acc championship puts jordan wara as the acc player of the year puts him on first team all acc and it really started to get me thinking, like, what is what is the ceiling for Jordan Wara as a junior, right? You go from being a guy who goes from the bench to winning most improved player of the year in the ACC, looking like an NBA player and coming back. Like, do you think that if he comes back and he's not these things, like, his, like it's, it's a failure for him to come back? Like, if he's not growing into bigger things in terms of accolades and showing that in a, in, in a relatively weak conference that he can be a dominant player, like, do you think it's a wash? Yeah, I do. Uh, I don't think it'll happen, but but if that were the scenario, I think um, I, it would be it right. would have been more advantageous for him to, to I end up going in the draft. I can't envision a scenario where he would get worse this season. I mean, right. I, I think that he very much is what he is, but we've not get, gotten a chance to see Jordan Wara in a full season um, where he wasn't the guy. Um, and I think that there are three or four guys that are going to be on this team that are absolutely taking away um, minutes they're going to be taking away um, diverting attention from him people aren't going to be able to double down on Jordan War they're not going to be able to um, you know they're they're not going to be able to to do um, you know they're, they're not going to be able to do some some of the some of the little things that, that people did to stop war last season um, so with that being with that in mind um, I'm not sure what your point, Adam. So point at the link, man. Pull. I want you to pull up the the article link to to the story from Rob Dowster. Like that was really confusing to watch. <laughs> no, I, I was know. just literally pointing. Like, yeah, no, I kept on watching link. it. And he he's like scrolling the, up and down. No, no, the, no the go link, back and click, brother. The link is not. No, if you here, cl- my friend. yes, it is. If you click on it, it's right here. College football wins. No, total? keep going, keep going. It's down there. No, maybe not. All right, okay. So I'm crazy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was about to say, am I a psychopath? No, okay. So I'm crazy. Okay. But the players that are competing for the award this year are it, – it's really – I mean, the conference as a whole, they lose a whole lot. The ACC becomes wide open in a way that I don't remember in the last several years. 
and you go from having the Zion Williamsons to the RJ Barrett's to some of the bigger names, the Luke Mays and Cam Johnson's like some of these huge names, heavy hitters to going to some really good players. And Jordan Wara is the top of the class coming back. Like your expectation then is that you're going to reach that, right? That's what you right. come back for is to go from stepping up to one stone to one stone to another. If you come back and the ACC is wide open, your team is a top five team. Like there's an expectation on you to be great. Yeah. And if he's not able to live up to that, I'm not saying that the season is a failure, but for him coming back, like that's what you're here for, man. Like you, you're ready to take your game to the next level and, and win awards and show that, uh, you know, that you can be the guy. It changes everything for him. Yeah. And I, I honestly, the reason I say I, I really, really don't see that happening is because everything that we've seen and all the information that we've had so far after he's come back has pointed to, he means business right now. Uh, and I mean, I think he's excited to get to compete against these new recruits every single day. Uh, because like we talked about, all these guys are going to do is just sharpen each other every single day and exactly. practice and battle. Uh, I think it'll pay nothing but dividends for, for Jordan and he knows it and he knows what he needs to work on. He's a smart guy and, and with the n- new weapons he has around him and with the returning guys he has around him, he knows it's not on just him to score. You know, I, I think at some points last year he felt that pressure at certain points during games uh, that he was the guy that really needed to get all the points. And I really hope, um, you know, that, that he understands that it doesn't have to be like that this right. year. The onus isn't going to be placed on him this year. He's uh, And that, that's what excite, That's what should excite everybody. Right, most. like I want him I to play loose and, there's and, no, and, and to be Jordan. And he's and, not like this year he's not the only guy, right? right that's exactly. the biggest thing is they've got guys now who are not – Offense are going to draw attention of their own because they're scorers and they can get buckets on their own. Last yeah. year, everybody on Louisville's team needed the ball passed to them to get a bucket for well, the most and, part. Yeah, especially you got Fresh Kimball that can score now. Right. And, and, and you got Samuel that can score. And you got Malik that can score. Yeah, you and, dump it into Steve and you you know you're going to get a and bucket. he's been working on his post moves all, all season. So, I mean, like, right. you, you got all these weapons that, yeah, you're not the guy that has to be relied upon as much as you have in the past. Exactly. And so here here are the guys that Rob Dowser lists as right, the I, way I to – You found sir. it. Okay, good yes, to know. I pulled I, it up on my phone. and I'm, I Googled it. You Googled it. Okay. It was not – placed upon in front of me here here are the guys that he lists as being um on that that potential acc player of the year right so it's jordan war who he names acc player of the year cole anthony who i believe is going to be this year's zion not in terms of generational but he's gonna be he's gonna be the guy that gets the the attention from from espn and all the networks right mamadi diakate from virginia yep hit the game winning shot to advance in the tournament. He comes back with a team of a brand new lineup. Like he is the guy there. John Mooney, who is going to become the next Luke Heron of North Notre Dame, the guy that you just can't stand playing Much against. More likeable, yeah. Yeah. Though, yeah like but him. he's going to score 40 points. They're going to be like, man, why can't we stop him? And then finally Vernon Carey, who's a freshman at Duke. So the, the point being there is that the ACC player of the year award is wide open. And I believe Jordan Moore is better than every single one of those guys. Right. hundred percent. Prove it, right? That's the thing is if, if you are, like, if you don't, or if you're not able to, to get to that award because, you're, you know, your team fell expectations or whatever the case is, like, I understand. But I think that Jordan Wara is there to take the next step. And for me, it's a failure for him coming back for personal gain of becoming an NBA player if he does not do that. Uh, the, the only thing, and knock on wood, the only thing that will stop that from happening this year 
is some sort of freak injury, some kind of weird situation where where it doesn't you know is not as um, is not as readily available. Let's say that. Um, and my re- my line of thinking is just that War was relied on to do so much. He was the team's leading rebounder last year, which is crazy to think about. He was bringing the ball up the floor a lot. Yeah. Um, he was initiating the offense a lot. None of that stuff is going to happen this year. None of it. Um, maybe he might lead the team rebounding. I don't know. But in my my line of thinking is that he's going to play off the ball so much this year. Yeah. And so that's what should excite fans is that my dude's going to be spotting up shooting like. Give, you know, getting other players assist eight, ten times a game, like does that does it make sense? Like he he's gonna be you know driving away from the basket. You know, we all love that that play where there's a off ball screen and he kind of comes from the corner for an easy dump down type pass, right? Or just like the easy out of bounds plays. Like all that stuff's gonna be draw, drawn up for Wara. So he's gonna get so many easy buckets just by just being a naturally gifted player and and being the the centerpiece in Max offense. So that should be. What excites people the most is that he's not going to be—he's not going to have to be the guy who's initiating the offense so much, and that'll allow him to maybe save a little bit more energy, play a little bit better on defense. Right. Um, he won't be having to. Now, not saying that I don't want him to, but he won't have to crash the board. He doesn't have to be the guy like yeah. a maniac yeah. every right. single play. Well, even though we so, want that, because yeah, that no, was I mean, fantastic. We, That's the most surprising that. thing about him is just like, like how almost you get eight that rebounds rebound? a game. Yeah, how do you do that? And Pretty I think impressive. we also forgot how long it took him to make this decision. That he, you know, he had to evaluate everything. I mean, everything we're talking about right now that he has to do, he knows that. I mean, it, absolutely. It, it took him literally till the the very last stroke of midnight to right. to make his decision. Well, and it was these were probably some of the factors he had to think through. And he's going to be the most similar to the player that he'll be in the league, which he, I think he will be a, a player in the league within the next few years. Um, but I think he's he will be the most similar to what he will be in the NBA this year. Yeah, which he, a spot exciting. up shooter for the most right. part, right? Yes. He's way more dynamic in college, but yeah, in the NBA as a spot up shooter. What do you guys kind of think is? Do do you think it's surprising to to see Louisville being talked about as one of potential ACC winner, like like legit preseason favorite? And what is it that kind of has you? If they're gonna do that, it's because of X, right? It, this is mm-hmm. why. Like, if they're they're gonna live up to that, it's gonna be because this happened. I mean, if if you look at any successful team in the last ten to twenty years, there it has you know a number of things. You know, I wrote the article at, mm-hmm. towards the end of last year. You know, these five six teams can win the national championship based on what Kim Pomeroy projects, based on what um, some of the analytics say, and, and what teams have to have. They have to have experience guard play. They have that. They have to have, have experience overall. They could have a starting five with just seniors this year. And not only just seniors, but like two or three redshirt seniors, like mm-hmm. fifth-year guys. Right. Yep. So they have the experience. In addition to that, they have the young talent. You have one or two guys that are one-and-done, two-and-done type, type of talent. You have guy, You have all kinds of different options. They're multifaceted. They're very versatile. They have the kind of coach that's that's been there before. He hasn't been to the Final Four yet, but he's been darn close. He's coached the number one seed in, out of the Big East. You have all of the intangibles that make a great team. You have excellent shooting. You have great free throw shooting, even from your bigs. You have two to three bigs who are going to be excellent down low. You have three bigs that any other team in the country would kill to have. You have all of these things, and you have it's the only team in the league um, that brings any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, the the only the only competition would be Duke and North Carolina, who again are bringing in great classes like always. But they don't have a bunch of talent on the back end. Right. Um. They don't have a bunch of experience on the back end. I, I should say. So, 
um, from one through eleven, Louisville is by far the most experienced or the most talented deep team in, in the country. Right. Um. So I, for for me, that that would be the reason is just because they have a they have talent and b they have um, experience and depth. And I think a big thing to add to that is is they have a coach that not only is is hopeful to get that far, but he is a expecting his team to get that far and i think right. he has i mean he's told the media his expectations obviously his team knows his expectations and i think the recruits do too so i mean he he is the coach that's saying meet me at my level i know this is only year two but here's here's what we're doing dude i love how he's not like he's not backing down he's not backing down at all and if you think about um, teams like, I mean, Kentucky is the obvious comparison where they, they bring in this talent, these talented classes year after year. And, um, you know, Calipari continues to make the excuse of, oh, well, you know, you know, trying to, to lower the expectations. Mac is saying, bring it on, you know, which I think is, is really what the attitude should be. And I think that if Calipari adopted that attitude, I think they'd have more success. Um, you know, he, I think he's more, you know, player centric or whatever you want the term to be but i mean mac is all in on getting to the final four and making this um you know one of one of louisville's best seasons ever and that's what should excite everybody is that that's the precedence that's being set every single day and if players aren't coming to practice and aren't coming to put in work um with that expectation in mind then you know they're gonna ride the bench all year so yeah I, mean, I I definitely agree with everything you said. For me, the the key to being what they want to be is the guards, and I think it's because every team you see win a championship has experience, point guard, shooting guard, backcourt all the time, even on the bench, for the most part. And I, I think you're gonna get a certain level of success from Fresh Kimball. Like I think you're, he's gonna be a really good player. Let's not sit here and act like he's gonna be you know a superstar by any means, but like he's gonna be a really nice player for you. But you're going to need more at that guard spot, and Darius Perry gives you just yep. this this energy and this just changes the dynamic of your offense. And for Louisville to succeed at a high level, I think that both of those guys have to be really, really good. I think you have to have a breakout season from Darius Perry because I think the the just the pure defense and pressure that you're going to face with, with two dogs like that is going to be equivalent to what we've seen in the past with Louisville. Mm-hmm. And that changes the dynamic of the, what your, the rest of your team could do. Well, I think going back to what we just talked about, Jordan, where – Jordan Wara talking, um, you know that that kind of relief of of this isn't all just on me in terms of my role. I think the same thing goes for Darius Perry. I think he can play a little bit uh, more his style now that there's so many guys around him uh, that that he doesn't have to be the guy, you know, bringing the ball up in the backcourt. Um, that he's the only one being relied upon right now. So I, I really think if he's allowed to, to blossom into himself mm-hmm. and, and do what he does best, which is spark the offense sometimes right. when he comes in, I mean, just make the plays, make the effort, uh, I think he'll be able to really explode this season like you're talking about. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's a, a really unique year because of the way that you return so much talent and you still bring in a, just a rich freshman class. You don't see teams bring back seven players and bring in six new like that the the math doesn't add up on that every year so the 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 situation that louisville was in last year with scholarship allocation was really a blessing in disguise because you're going to bring in the super talented class and you're going to mix in fresh hungry talent with proven experienced guys who want to take the team to the next level and i think they're really in for a a really good season and it's hard not to get so excited when you think about it because who saw 
contending for a championship in two years. Like, I don't think that was possible. Right. So let's let's talk a, some more level basketball, but let's shift a little bit and talk about Donovan Mitchell. I don't think that there's been a, a player in the NBA that is not a free agent talked about more over the last couple of days outside of maybe Giannis for winning MVP. The Donovan Mitchell, due to just incredible marketing with his new shoe coming out and simultaneously appearing in Spider-Man commercials, you know, for Spider-Man Far From Home, is that correct? I'm not a superhero yes. movie guy. No. And we are right before our eyes seeing Donovan Mitchell just like explode onto a new level. Not even an all-star yet. Has his own shoe. Has his own clothing line. Absolutely leading a team that looked like they were headed for the bottom of the league back to relevance. It's so cool. I don't know about you guys, but I think it's the coolest thing I've seen in my time as a Louisville fan outside of Lamar Jackson and outside of winning a championship. Like It is so cool to see a player that I love from playing at Louisville become a NBA superstar. Right. I mean, and I think the cool part too is that he's a part of such a cool team, and it reminds you a little bit of like their fan base reminds me a little bit of the the Louisville market, where it's kind of a small market, but it's very niche, very, um, you know, like family oriented. Yeah, passionate um, fan base. Yeah, very passionate fan base. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's just there's so much to like about Donovan Mitchell as a person, so much to like about his team, so much to like about his game and what he brings to the table. Um. And we talked with, with Eric a little bit, too, about just how marketable of, of a player he is. Right. Um, and that's what, you know, should be so exciting for fans going forward is that this is a guy that we, you know, watched before he even committed to Louisville. We watched him grow right before our eyes from um, a guy with just a lot of potential to a guy who's just abs- an absolutely legit dog. Yeah. Um, and who's just has remained so humble about everything. Yeah, just a great guy. I mean, just a just, great all-around guy. And that's the guy you hope to produce as a college. Like, that's why he goes to school and you have this opportunity to shape his character to be something special. And it's just, it's so cool to see. For me, I want to see what they do now to build around him because he is, you know, it's still a couple of years out, but you know how the NBA works now. If you're not competing mm-hmm. and you're a superstar, man, you get to, you can get your way out of a, out of a organization pretty quick. Right. And especially if he's an all-star this year. Yeah. Like he's going to take off to an, even another level in the NBA and not just necessarily off the floor. But for me, I'm, I'm really interested to see what they do in free agency. They've already gotten Mike Conley gives him the best guard he's probably ever played with in his life. I mean, right. quite frankly, he's going to have a true running mate next to him and they still got some money to go out and get some guys to go with him and Rudy Gobert and Joe Ingram. Yeah, I mean, they could be, we could be talking about the, the jazz as an NBA final next year and it, like finals. And it wouldn't surprise me. Right. That'd be and pretty cool combo. I talking about Louisville and the yeah, final, final four and the jazz. Mitchell in the, in the NBA finals. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a fun season. The jazz story reminds me a little bit of Toronto in a way that they, they're going to have two like bona fide stars on their team. Now with Rudy Gobert is kind of like a secondary star just because he's more of a foreign player. People don't, don't latch on to centers as much. Um, but he, you know, the defensive player of the year, um, they have a really just fun guy to watch in Joe Ingles. Um, and they have a lot of just really cool pieces around them. Um, does it remind you of, of the Raptors at all? Or is that just totally reaching? I mean, I could see it, but you'd have to have, you know, somebody, you'd have to compare Ricky Rubio in that situation or Derek favors to Marta Rosa, the guy who you, right. you let walk or you trade because you, you know, you're trying to take your team to the next level. I would say in a sense, acquiring a superstar to help, you know, go up from being a really good team to a great team is in a sense like Toronto with Kawhi, but I, I don't think that Mike Conley is going to have that big of an impact in terms of taking right. him to the next level, but it's who you pair with him. Yeah. You can I, go get somebody that can go with Mike Conley and can go with Donovan Mitchell. 
you know, you're really talking about if, changing the shape of the, of the NBA right now. If they get rid of favors, um, so that that means they'd have about twenty million dollars worth to work with in cap space this year. Who, I mean, who is there anybody that you're looking at, or do you think that Defave's the guy? Like, he, I mean, I I don't necessarily want to sit here and act like I know the ins and out of the Jazz, but I think that. If you're able to get another guy that can shoot from deep uh, reliably at the four spot and you can continue to spread the floor for Donovan Mitchell, that's only going to help. Um, you know, I think the money situation is going to be unique. It depends on one player. But, right. you know, I think a guy like Tobias Harris would be a great fit there. Same. Because you spread the floor and you've got another guy who can put the ball in his hands and score. Um, I think there are other guys out there at cheaper rates or, you know, at cheaper contracts who can do similar things. I, I think Jay Crowder would have been a perfect example, but you lose him in the trade. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. They got to go out and they got to get somebody else that doesn't necessarily have to be a, like a super, superstar, but somebody who can fill a hole and be really, really good at doing what they need. Right. I just hope that they get out to, and Eric talked about this a lot too, which you guys will hear in just a second, but I, I really hope that they get out to a hot start this year because that could change the, the whole dynamic of the season, how much attention that they get, how much more they're on TV, how much more attention that Mitchell gets, um, you know, all-star game um chances for the, the three guys that really have a good chance on the jazz um there, there's a lot of positives that could come out of them actually getting out to a hot start instead of having to spend the entire season and expend a lot of that energy later later on in the season yeah, just trying, trying to, to the catch playoffs. Yeah, right yeah I, I mean i think that donovan mitchell is going to take his game to another level you're looking at a, an all-star becoming like it's setting on to the horizon of being a perennial all-star every single season um, and I think they're they're going to be really cool. But what I'm ready for, man, and he's doing it a little bit with these shoes, is I want to see Louisville all the time. Like every commercial you're in, oh, you got some Louisville shorts on? Okay, yeah. all right, yeah. Like I want to see Donovan take like Louisville with him, and I think that that's kind of slowly what we're starting to see. Yeah. And it's changing the way that like our program is looked at. Like it really is. Like Donovan is this is the school that Donovan came from, and this Donovan's this huge NBA star. And kids are going to want to start being like him. The bigger he gets and, and the more successful he becomes from here on out, the more we can put these really, really bad things and dark stains of the program yeah. behind us. And yeah. I think that that's what's the exciting part is, is you know, as, as we've always said, like cr with recruits and commits now, it's it's a what can you do for me now? What have you done lately? kind of mm -hmm. kind of league uh in terms of just even college basketball yeah. so i think him being a focal point in the nba and not only that just a great person you're a great person and a focal point in the nba and in louisville's obviously ec ecstatic too yeah. and he's still adidas that's the best part so right. yeah you can have collabs and partnerships and he's even dropped yeah. the uh the yeah. hint that he's gonna you know, make special stuff just for the louisville basketball team i want to see incredible. some donovan mitchell Dunking Bird shorts. Ooh. Imagine the partnership; those shorts. That'd be pretty sick. I I'd buy every pair and every stuff. color. What if, if what? they? What if they like go run through the tournament with like just spider webs on their shorts? I'd love it. That'd be sick. Give me the special design jersey all day long. Um, I want the Donovan Mitchell gear every day of the week. They're they, gonna wear the shoes, right? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, they're for sure gonna be wearing the shoes. Yeah, I just don't know if they're gonna so have a special cool, edition. Or, so cool. Well, you already see if you see the pictures from practice, they already wear all the spider gear. Yeah, yeah, right. that's yeah, the, yeah, that's the wild part. Like. So, it's literally becoming like Cardinal Bird and, 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 and spiders spider, yeah, <laughs> at the, the same time. But so with that in mind, <laughs> it'll work somehow. I don't care how it works. With but. that in mind, um, bigger player for his perspective program, Lamar Jackson or or Donovan Mitchell. <sighs> That's tough. Um, definitely Lamar. 
You think Lamar just because? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not talking. If, if you're talking out of the the out of college, no, it's Donovan. But if you're talking about in like what was bigger for the school and the program, Lamar won possibly the biggest award in program history in the Heisman. Like well, I was just looking at, I accidentally clicked on Sports Reference. Like I, we were just looking through stats as we were doing yeah. this stuff, and I accidentally just clicked on 2016, just overall college football Sports Reference. And at the very top, it says national champion Clemson, uh, Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson. Right. Louisville, like that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and as Keith talks, Ben, in our interview with him uh, coming up, you know, it 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 really is a good thing when you have major things to talk about the last five years as a program, because mm-hmm. if you're bringing in these recruits and you really have nothing to hang your hat on, it's a little bit tougher of a, of a sale uh, to these guys. And I think the fact, yes, we did have a terrible season last season, but look at what we've done. Look at who we have. And and guys love Lamar. I mean, mm-hmm. Lamar is one of the most electrifying, yeah. not only QBs, but athletes in college football in the last decade. So, I mean, it, it, it's an awesome person to hang your hat on. I mean, yeah, there's not much more to say. I mean, Will Smith, another guy, two walk-off home runs for the Dodgers in one week. Yeah, that guy's already off to a, an insane start in his MLB career. Yeah, so, Terry Rozier, free agent, starting next week. Looking at possibly the New York Knicks. There's a lot of Louisville Cardinals in the news. Yeah. Especially Montrez Donovan. Harrell. Yeah, Montrose Harrell, seventh man of the year, first time in history of the NBA. All right, let's switch gears a little bit here. Let's go into a little bit of football. Louisville football. We've got a uh, great guest on next, uh, Keith Wynn from the Card Chronicle, deputy editor over there. Man, I appreciate you taking your time. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys having me on. For sure, for sure, man. It is. It's good to get to talk to you. Um, know you're a great mi- football mind. You got a lot of great opinions, dude. Um, let's jump right into it. Alex, will you introduce this article a little bit here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I was going to say, Keith, if you want to introduce the article, but... Uh... I just brought it up from from stalking your Twitter account all the time about football updates and analysis. But uh, but yeah, I I just wanted to hear your thoughts a little bit on the stadium article that came out uh, titled "What Have Power Five Schools Accomplished in the Lifetime of 2020's Top Football Recruits?" So basically, if I understand it right, all the kids were recruiting uh, for football this season. This is essentially what every Power Five school has accomplished since they've been born. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting because I, I think that, you know, when people look at college football as a whole, you talk about Blue Bloods, you talk about the the big-time programs, and, and people, you, you, they think the – they look at the program as a whole over, you know, forever. Right. Uh, you see it in basketball a lot, and obviously little fans, you know, with the rivalry with Kentucky, they, they talk about championships that go back to before their grandparents were born, you know. And people do that in football a lot, and I think it's a really good way to look at it to see what an 18, 17, 16-year-old kid is going to be seeing uh, and, and when they look at a program. Uh, and it's really about what has happened recently. That, that's what they care about. You know, these kids don't uh, care that Miami won a bunch of championships in the 80s or even, you know, the, 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 the teams with the Ed Reeds and the Ray Lewis, all those guys, they, they just – they weren't even born then, and even if they were, they were they were little kids. So right, right, right. I think it's really cool, and I, I thought you know the first program, the first conference I had on this is the ACC, and you see what Clemson's done recently, um, and that they're the best team in ACC over the last 18 years. And I don't think most people would even think that. 
you know, you think of the FFCs, you think of the Miamis, and I think it's really cool. I thought it was a really great way to look at it, and I really like where Louisville sits in there. You can see that, you know, over the last, you know, two decades, they've done pretty well. Um, even though the conferences, conferences have changed, you know, it still factors in. They, you know, they, they obviously did well in the other conferences. Right. In, and we've seen what they've done in the ACC so far. Yeah, and I, I think looking at it from that perspective as well, I mean, I don't know how many people would have thought, you know, Louisville only being five down on that list in, in terms of total teams in the ACC. Um, especially when you look at some of the other teams in these other conferences that, you know, in my mind, I thought have been really strong statistically, um, historically, but, but really uh, some of these stats kind of surprise you. Well, yeah, I thought um, Utah was really interesting. You know, going after the Pac-12, they're one of the top teams out there. Um, but the Pac-12 in general is, was one of the most, like, eye-opening to me. You know, half their conference is around 50% winning percentage or lower. Um, I mean, it really is a USC, Oregon, and pretty much everybody else uh, when it comes to that conference. And I thought that was really interesting. That you, you just – it's just – I don't know. I, I just find it fascinating to look at those things and see – there are programs listed in there, listed there that you would say, well, I'm sure that recruits think these programs are great, and you really look at what they've done, and no recruits are really going to pay attention to those schools because they're not who you see in the primetime games. Uh, they're not who you see putting players in the NFL. Uh, you know, like Texas is a great program to look at that factor. If you're a recruit right now, or at least over the last handful of years, right. Texas isn't going to really stick out to you if you're looking to make it to the NFL. They just don't put guys in the NFL anymore, uh, which is just crazy. Yeah. But that's just the truth of the matter. So I think that, you know, when it comes to those things, you have to take it all into account. And I think recruits do, especially more now. I mean, they have all the information and access to their hand, you know, all the time on their phone. They can look up anything they want. And when you go to a program for a visit, they can only sell you on what they've done. So right. uh, if you're going to a program and they don't have anything to talk talk about over the last five, ten years, you know, those recruits aren't really it's, – it's a harder sell for those guys. No, absolutely. And I think to your point – uh, looking at the Pac-12 on this article specifically, I would have never had Colorado pegged for last uh, with, you know, the recent success uh, they've had on the football field, and especially, uh, you know, teams like Washington uh, only being at 50.4%. Like, some of those did kind of jump out to me as well. I definitely agree. Yeah, and I think that, like, you know, the, the last handful of years matters more than anything, you know, for, especially from a recruiting standpoint, but just in general, and, and Washington's been better under, under Chris uh, Peterson, but you know, Tyrone Willingham was there and, you know, all, all the coaches they've had over there over the years and they just really haven't done – they didn't do that well and then now they've bounced back. You know, Colorado had a little bit of bounce back and then they just had to fire the same coach that took them to one of their best seasons in recent memory, you know. So it really is um, – it fluctuates. And that's how college football is. Unless you're a blue blood, things things go up and down. It's just the way it goes. Uh, it's just all about being able to find a, a happy medium where – you're not getting too far down, uh, and, and most teams, that's where the struggle is, uh, and you see that in those numbers. Right, and I think just to put, you know, to bring it back kind of even specifically to Louisville, I definitely think this new staff can can use, you know, looking at these stats historically, they can definitely use this to their advantage because, like you said, recruits really only truly remember what has happened in the last really five to seven years, and there's a lot that's happened with Louisville football in that time span. Well, I think people kind of lose sight of the fact that, you know, you're recruiting 16 to 18-year-old kids. Five years ago, those, those guys didn't even care about college football. You know, they, they maybe watched it, but they didn't really look into it deeply and really care to the level that 
oh, I can't believe five years ago Louisville went to the, you know, Sugar Bowl or whatever. You're like, like they just don't care. They don't, they yeah. don't even remember those things. Um, so, but it is important when you get guys on campus, and I think Scott Satterfield has been really good about this. He's been very truthful and upfront and honest about the program. And one of the things he's pointed out is that he can sell the recent success of Louisville. Um, you know, two and ten is always going to be there. Yeah. But over the last handful of years, Louisville's done some good things that recruits could come in and say, well, yeah, okay, I can win here. I can play in big games. I can be on, on a game day game, you know, and, and I think that's really – that's really important. And I, I think you also have individual accolades that have been great. You have Gerard Holloman, you have Lamar Jackson, you have Jair Alexander. Guys that have done really well um, over the last handful of years to be nationally recognized players. Uh, and, and when you bring a guy on campus, you're, you're selling your program. And if you can sell those things, that's, that's a step up among, you know, beyond a lot of other programs, let alone the programs in ACC. You know, NC State doesn't have four or five guys that you can point to, uh, you know, Miami doesn't even have that anymore. So it, they have some things that they can really sell. Um, and I think that's been, been a plus for them so far. Keith, before we jump into 2020, I want to start with 2019. Ty Tyler, the, the graduate transfer from Marshall commits last week. To me, that's possibly one of the biggest things that's happened since Scott Satterfield has been here outside of, you know, landing so many players in so long or, you know, so short of a time after going so long without a commitment. To you, how important is it that they get a, a kid like him who can get after the quarterback to play right away? Oh, I think it's huge. Um, you know, I think um, last year, early in the season, you know, Jonathan Bernard made it pretty known. You know, I think Dave Blackford reported at first that he was going to be transferring to Florida. Uh, I think he wanted to be in Ty Grantham's system, um, and that, that made sense. But that left this next year without a true pass rusher, a proven guy. Um, and Ty Tyler is a proven pass rusher. He has pass rushing moves. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the change from a, a guy with the potential and a guy with the experience and, and a, and a proven, hey, I can get to the quarterback in different ways. Um, and I think that's going to be really important, uh, because there's not really a guy that we know is going to be able to do that on the roster. I mean, period. Um, you know, Amante Gabon had some good plays. He has some good traits that you show that, hey, in the new system, he might be able to get there. Tavares Peterson has some has some athleticism, but no one's really been able to show it yet. Um, so I think bringing in a guy who you know can at least, uh, you know, do those things that you need to be able to pressure the quarterback uh, will be really huge. And that's, that's also something at App State, they didn't necessarily always have a great pass rush. They had guys that can uh, hurry the quarterback a little bit, but guys that couldn't really get to the quarterback. So being able to have that guy in, that, in this system would install about pressure and, and coverage down the field, I think it'll be a really big addition. And I agree with you. It's, it's one of the biggest things that has happened since this, since this staff took over. Do you think he brings a level of leadership as well with his age? Yeah, you, you know, you, you definitely need that. And I, I think that one of the things with Louisville football last year is that they just didn't have that. Um, you know, it's just – it was it was a – it wasn't necessarily a young team, Um from a standpoint of guys getting on the field. I mean, once you get halfway through the season, guys that are playing, you're playing. You know, it doesn't really matter. But I think in the locker room, they had a lot of issues with who is going to, you know, be the be the vocal leader, uh, who's going to set the tone, who's going to set the example. Um, and I think they've really pushed for, pushed for that so far. They've had guys that have stepped up in the locker room, stepped up in the weight room. They had their 10-strong uh, their program, the 10 players that they, they, they choose as leaders. 
And I think that's important. But you also need guys that have done things on the field that have shown that they're top-level players. So when they come in the locker room, guys want to look up to them. And I think Tyler's going to be that guy. Um, you 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 know you can't really you can't knock a guy that that ended up with I think it's 21 tackles for loss and 13 and a half sacks. I mean that that's production no matter what. Right. And he also, if I'm remembering correctly, he scored against Louisville a couple of years ago in the game they played. So they you know it's not like he doesn't have the film, the accolades, those things guys look up to, and especially some of these younger guys coming in and coming up in the program, they need those guys to get a look to and say this is what I want to emulate on and off the field, and I think he can do that. You transitioned from 2019 into 2020, and the the run that this staff has been on the last couple of weeks is really unprecedented around here. You go from having three commitments, I think, on May 29th to turning around and having uh, 19, 20. I don't remember what the number is now. I've lost track. What do you think has been the biggest change in recruiting to to go from you know essentially building relationships to commitments, just back to back to back to back? Like, what what do you kind of attribute that to for these for the coaches, and then what do you think the players are kind of you know, getting from all of this? I think the biggest thing, and it's, it's honestly the biggest change in the entire recruiting philosophy, is that the staff is really big on seeing guys in person. Um, they got a lot of these guys on campus uh, once for, you know, a camp or, you know, one of those things or an, or an unofficial visit, and then they brought them back uh, and, and, and got them on again, and then that secured it for both sides. And I think that's important. That's a way that it, it's very different. It's not just, hey, we're going to take this guy because he wants to come. It's, hey, do we want this guy to come? You know, did we feel good in the conversations we've had? Do we feel good meeting with their parents? Uh, are they the types of people we want in this program? Um, and I think that's, that's a huge change because, I mean, Louisville, even you can just look at the class they had when um, the season started last year and going into the season None of those kids had even visited campus, you know, other than maybe a camp, but they didn't take, they didn't take visits here. And, and you can't, you can't recruit that way. You have to know if that guy's going to fit from a off the field standpoint. And the only way you get that is by, you know, talking to them, meeting their parents, getting some time with them. And, and they just didn't do that with the last staff. This new staff is very big on evaluating guys in person. And, and it's something that from my own personal standpoint, I've had to kind of change my own mind on because they've taken some guys that I had some questions on and, and I, I, I don't have any problem being open about that. But when I sat back and thought about it, it's like, you know, these guys watch, you know, recruit XYZ twice in person on Louisville's campus, met him, met his family. You can't get much better than that. They, they, they've stressed that that's what they're, that's what's important. Um, and they're doing that now. And I think that's the biggest change. And I think when they got those guys on this run is because they're making that second visit or sometimes just making a visit in that time. And that May 31st huge recruiting weekend they had was a big thing. And they got those guys here. And I think they really impressed those guys with the new stuff. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like in general, they're not acting as if we we went 2-10 two and, two and ten last year. You know, I mean, that... that right. Or, I mean, like, that, it just doesn't reek of desperation. Like, you think a program coming off a, a, an abysmal season would act like. Right. And so, Keith, tell me this. They, ha they haven't even stepped onto the field yet and a lot of times with new coaches recruiting starts to kind of pick up when you start winning and you put out a product on the field that is better than what recruits had seen before how much better can this class get knowing that they haven't even played yet yeah that's that's the big question is it's it's a really exciting aspect of it from my standpoint because they they should get to 28 or 29 recruits they're going to take more than 25 as long as they have three or four guys who 
come in early, uh, they'll be able to count towards the last class. So they'll they'll take 28 to 29 guys. So they have eight or nine spots right now. Um, and I, I, I'm really interested to see what their strategy is going to be. Are they going to wait to get some of those wins to build some positive, you know, feedback and some positive news for them and really look at those last spot, last spots to take during the season? Because um, Scott Siderfield made it. I mean, he was abundantly clear. He wanted the class to be done before the season started. Um, and I get that, but I think that honestly, they're, they're take, they're, they're further ahead than I think they expected to be right now. Right. Um, so I think if they can really focus on those last eight to nine spots and really look at some high level guys, I think if they're winning games, I think that's really important. And I also think getting guys like Chubba Purdy on, on, in, in the class, that that that's something that guys recognize that you know recruiting is is these guys all talk they all know each other they camp together they go to rivals camps they go to different team camps so they talk and these guys keep in touch and i think that's a huge thing with how recruiting is now so now you have a big time recruit one of the top quarterbacks in the country and they're looking at two more receivers they're looking at adding another offensive lineman maybe they still need tight ends they might take a running back these are all guys on offense that are like taking notice now that whoa, I gotta make so I gotta pay a little bit more attention because Louisville's got some momentum going. They've got some good things going. Everybody I talk to has nothing but great things to say about the new staff and how how the environment is. Maybe I'll check them out. So I think they'll at least take some of those eight to nine spots and leave them open for in the season to really look at some high priority guys, the Marcus Dumavirils of the world, those four four star guys that you know, are, are at least still keeping them in mind. And I think they can get some of those guys. Is that kind of what landing a quarterback like Chubba Purdy does too? When, when you get a guy who um, is, you know, number six rated in his class by three, four, seven um, in, in, at his position. And then additionally is, is at a, a marquee position as well. Um, being a quarterback. Um, is, is that something that is kind of makes you, um, makes you kind of some somebody that that other other recruits can kind of look at and be like, you know, that makes you kind of pay a little bit more attention as well. Well, yeah, and I, and and you know, I, I think about it, the quarterback position when you can land a big time recruit, a guy that you feel can come in and potentially play immediately. I mean, we we saw it with Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think Purdy's on the level that Teddy was because Teddy is Teddy, but he is a guy that could really launch this program. Further ahead, more quickly than we all expect, because if you solidify the quarterback position, everything takes a step forward. You know, a quarterback and offensive line are period. You can do those two things. You can you can do a lot. Your program is going to be better. Your offense is going to be better. Your defense is going to going to thrive off your offense. It matters so much because it's such an important position, just like the offensive line. But yeah, it also factors in that more people want to be around good players. Um, and I, and I, I really can't stress that enough because we saw with Lamar Jackson, you would talk to re- recruits who come in and, and visit, and they didn't play – they play on defense. And they'd be like, wow, I, I, you know, it's really cool. Lamar's great. And it's like, what, well, why does that matter? It's because people like to be – you know, these guys like to be around other good players. Right. And and having a guy like him who also has a big personality, he's a, who's an outgoing guy, that's going to be a real big plus, I think, going forward, not just in this class, but for the next couple classes. So when you look at the class, it's, it's really interesting that you get a team taking two quarterbacks. Maybe maybe it's not interesting for every program, but I don't, I don't remember a time when that's ever happened here. 
How does that dynamic play out? You know, if you're the coach, what do you do to kind of manage two quarterbacks who both want to play different skill set? Like, how do you think that's going to work here? You know, I think a lot of it depends on how uh, the quarterback position works out this upcoming season. You know, Jawan Pass is, is, is pretty obvious he's the guy. Um, if he's the guy and everything works out and he plays well, um, I think that'll be a more interesting aspect than anything. Because now you have, you know, Jawan, you have Evan Conley, potentially Malik Cunningham, who I, I think if, if things, if Jawan does well, I think Malik will be changing positions. And then you have two other guys coming in, and now you have three guys who are handpicked by the staff. They're going to have to come in and not only beat each other out, they've got to beat out Jawan Pass. Um, if he doesn't play well and it's an open competition going into the spring, you know, I think you know those guys will be here for a year. I think they'll. I think that they have made it very clear to both of those guys they're taking two quarterbacks. Uh, on on Purdy's official visit, T. Webb was in town uh, for an unofficial. So it's not like they they didn't they they're not letting these guys know what's going on. But when it comes down to it, you know, we we know how the transfer situation is in college football now. Um, somebody's going to win that job. Somebody's going to be the or at least the front runner or further ahead than the next guy. And, and it will probably, you know, lead to a transfer from someone. Um, but you never know. I mean, it, it still happens. You you could still see both these guys stick around and, and wait their turn. But usually the way things go now, guys will transfer. But I think from a recruiting standpoint, I think they're up front with these guys. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of top-level talent, those guys want competition. You know, these guys don't shy away from it. So I don't think it'll be much of an issue. Uh, I don't think that T-Web's going to be looking around. He might take a visitor to and see if he has a better opportunity, but I don't think he's going to back down from you know a competition against another recruit. Definitely not, and that's what you should expect too. I mean, if you look at the the top teams that have been in the college football playoffs consistently, um, the Clemson's, the Alabamas, the the uh, Oklahomas, all of these teams have two quarterbacks that would probably start on any other team, um, and then transferring transferring to to the other team as well. So. Um, I think that you know they should welcome this kind of competition. I don't think I see it as nothing but a positive to have two quarterbacks that are coming in that within the next couple of years you could see them, uh, you know, fighting for playing time. Well, no, I think also we we tend in general because this is what recruiting rankings do. We get caught up in those rankings a lot. Um, you know, T. Webb is no slouch. You know, I, I, I my favorite thing about T. Webb is that. Um, God, his name is going to escape me right now, but he's now at Miami as their offensive coordinator. He was the offensive you know, sorry, he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama last year. He wanted T. Webb at Alabama. He didn't offer him, but he took six days from the time he got the job at Miami. He offered T. Webb at Miami. Uh, this is a guy that got to attack Lavoya to a to a different level. He helped Jalen Hurts. We all saw how much better Jalen Hurts was last year than he was the year before in that limited time. But he was a much better quarterback when he got on the field last year. That's a credit to Dan Enos. And, and he wanted T-Web. So as much as the recruiting rankings matter, I'm a stars matter kind of guy, you have to take it all into account. And when a guy like Dan Enos wants your quarterback, you're, you're doing something right. So it's not that they got Chubba Purdy and another guy. They got two very high-level quarterbacks. The recruiting rankings just don't, just don't show that. But, you know, offers matter, the tape matters, all those things like that. And I think T-Web is a very, very – very good quarterback, and those guys can develop under Frank Ponson, Scott Satterfield. One of the the big things with Cardinal fans the last several years has been a, a newfound worry of recruiting locally with Louisville versus Kentucky. We've seen the last couple of years 
the talent in the city of Louisville and the state of Kentucky has kind of gone up a level. And in that time, Kentucky is clearly winning the recruiting battle. They've come in and stolen several kids out of Louisville's backyard. Now that we're transitioning from a staff who didn't place recruiting locally as a priority on their recruiting to do to a staff now who wants to mend fences and build everything back up from the ground up, how big of a deal is it that Kentucky is winning in a class like 2020 where they're, you know, the Louisville staff's just a few months in? And how, how does that shift going forward? How, do, how does Louisville take over and kind of begin to, to win that again? Yeah, I think it just takes time. I think I think recruiting is so so different now. You know, I was I was uh, reading up a little bit this week and you know looking at some things, and a lot of coaches are talking about how recruiting the process is starting much earlier now. It's not junior year. We start looking at the next class and you know things like that. Guys are starting to get looks freshman year, even their eighth grade year. You know, and they're starting to get offers in. But but more than that, it's just the coaches are, are really much more involved early in the process and then you also have the 707 factor guys are guys are traveling with their teams they're getting exposure you have these gyms like aspirations gym which can take these guys to different places the best way i can look at i can describe it is look back to Devonte parker when he was a otherworldly athlete in, in high school and never got any exposure he didn't go to camps he didn't go to you know whether it be the rivals camps, the all those things that we have now, they just that just wasn't a thing then. Those are extremely important parts of recruiting now. So everyone is getting more exposure, and that includes kids in Louisville who would not have gotten a second look years ago, are now being regional and sometimes even national recruits. I mean, Rondell Moore was a national recruit, which is just absurd when you think about. It. James Quick wasn't even a national recruit, so. Things have changed a lot, and I think that that's a huge factor, and it means that you need more time to develop those relationships because sophomore year, the top player in Louisville is getting lists from Ohio State. They're getting lists from, you know, Michigan. Those schools are all recruiting here. Alabama is in the state of Kentucky every year. So right. you have to be able to get those, get in those guys earlier, and it's just going to take time for this new staff to develop those relationships. Getting in with their coaches is very important because those coaches that are really good coaches – they're factoring in, in in any kid's recruitment, so you have a you have a you have a positive there. They have you have someone on campus with that kid saying positive things about your school. That's always a plus. Um, but with UK, one thing that they did that, that was really smart is that they noticed that U U of L just stopped recruiting the city and they redirected Vince Morrow to to Louisville out of Ohio, and he, he kind of covers both areas now. And he's a really high level recruiter. I mean, kudos to them for doing what they did, but. Louisville's got to find a way to make sure that they're combating that. Um, I know Court Dennison is up in the Ohio area. Um, I know he recruits in, in Louisville also a little bit. That's a good guy to keep here to battle, to, to set up those battles, because that, that's what it'll be as long as UK is still winning football games, which we never know if that's actually going to be the case or not. Right, and it's interesting, too, you bring that up, Keith, because if you even look back just a couple of years ago, um, to your point, you know, you look at – a guy like Keon Wakefield, who was the fourth-ranked player in the state of Kentucky um, just, I think, three or four years ago. And then now you have a guy like Isaiah Cummings playing for the same school, um, at male high school. He's he's a higher-rated higher rated player, yet he is the seventh-ranked player in, in, in the state. So, um, there, like, to your point, there's, there's definitely um, a higher level of talent and a lot more attention being paid 
um, to the area when you have players like John Young, Isaiah Cummings, Watkins, Minkins, um, the list goes on and on. That's crazy. I mean, and, and you look at the state of Kentucky in general. I mean, we have the number one tight end of the country, and you know, up in Coven Cup Cav, and he's going to Notre Dame. Notre Dame got Landon Barlson what a day or two ago. That's two kids from the, from out in the state. They're going to Notre Dame. Clemson is in and getting Walker Parks. Mm-hmm. You know, Alabama's in on Vito Tisdale down in Bowling Green. And, you know, he might end up at UK, but he's got an Alabama offer. I mean, that is just it's just so it's so different. I mean, it, it's just a it's it's crazy to think about that that Kentucky now has at least at that top level, guys that can go to these big programs, and now that's the battle. And, and Louisville already battles, especially on the state. They battle the fact that a lot of kids, you know, they their their family, their parents, they don't look at Louisville in a good light, whether it be the fandom or just the big city factor. So they already have that going against them. So they really have to find a way to make sure that the city of Louisville becomes a place where when we have top talent, they're going to get them. And it's just gonna it, it it'll take time. I think that they've gotten over the last two years they've gotten at least four or five guys who have just flat out said I I've been a diehard Louisville fan my whole life, but they didn't you know they weren't being recruited here, and they've only been here for what two hundred eight or nine days so far since Scott Satterfield got hired. Right. That's just a really hard thing to do now. When Isaiah Cummins was a top level recruit as a freshman. That's three years that they just missed out on, and they had to make that up, and it's just not possible. So they've got to figure out a way to get on these guys early. But at the same time, they didn't offer some of those guys until they saw them in person. That is something that they feel, I think, that they feel strongly about. And as a fan base, I think that could cause some issues, but it shouldn't really cause issues down the road. But right now, I think that, you know, a guy like Jordan Watkins, he didn't get an offer until somewhat recently because they wanted to see him in person. Well, UK offered him in February, and they've been talking to him ever since. It's hard to make up that ground just because, hey, you're we're, we're your local school, especially when you went two and ten last year. When you when you look at the 2020 class, you, you said that they're going to take about 28, 29 guys, so they've got some spots to fill, um, and now they can begin to kind of focus more specifically on some guys that they want. To me, the top of this class is three guys that you're looking for: it's Vito Tisdale, Christian Fitzpatrick, and Marcus Dumerville. How do you think they go about trying to recruit those guys? And what are your kind of initial thoughts on if they can close the door on getting a commitment and then getting a player on campus? So I think that Christian Fitzpatrick is a super interesting guy, obviously, because his brother's there. You know, I, I think that his dad has a very has a very professional mindset when it comes to recruiting. Uh, he wants to know that whatever school his kids are going to, they're going to be a key factor in what they do. The offense fits their skills. Um, and I think they're going to wait to see what this offense does. Um, he hasn't, he's, he's really slow played his recruiting. He's gotten a lot of big offers and really hasn't started doing a lot of visits and things like that. So I think they're going to, they want to see what Louisville's offense is going to do, what it looks like. Um, I know there are some concerns just in general with a, a more of a pro style run heavy offense. Um, So I think that's a factor, but I think if they see what they like, um, I I think that, you know, Des's dad, Christian's dad, I think he likes Louisville. I think he likes the new staff. So I think that's the big thing with him, but he's got some big offers. You know, Penn State and Oregon are are two schools that as a recruit, man, that's, that's, those are big time programs. They're fun programs to play for. So, you know, that's a factor there. Vito Tisdale is very a very interesting uh, prospect to me because I think he's one of those guys that will factor into the fit 
uh, factor whether or not he fits the new scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a safety, he's kind of a bigger guy. He might fit that position of that card spot, that outside linebacker safety hybrid, but they've really kind of filled that spot with the two guys they have. So, you know, I don't know if he totally fits from a safety standpoint. I don't feel like they've been really going hard after him either. So, you know, it, it, it's a, it's an interesting aspect because, yeah, I think that he's a great talent, but they might just not want him. Um, and that's something that, it, it could cause you know cause some issues, and I also think it's the same thing. He's the, he they got a they're behind on that guy. You know he he's been recruited by UK, Alabama, and all these other programs for a couple of years now, and this new staff's taking over, and they're going to have to make up all that ground. And they might just say it's not worth it to waste our time on that. But I think he would be. I think I think he would fit. But I'm not one of the coaches, and you know obviously I don't know uh, as much on that aspect. Um, Marcus Doomerville, I know that uh, rivals. Uh, Dave Blackford and Mark Ennis uh, reported the other day that he's, you know, considering uh, still considering Louisville because he likes Dwayne Ledford. Um, I, I, his recruitment's also kind of interesting. He's still he's one of those guys I think will wait until the season, um, and I think he's waiting to take his officials and all of his officials at least. I think they have a very, very good chance of landing him because I think Dwayne Ledford is quite literally one of the top three offensive line coaches in the country. When you have that, offensive linemen are different when it comes to recruiting. They want to go to a coach who is going to develop them. It's not as much about the offense. It's not as much about the team. Those guys typically focus more on their coaching because that's such a big factor. You have to have a guy that's going to develop you. And Dwayne Lefford, is, is, he's, he's, his record speaks for himself. So um, I think that'll be the guy that will be the marquee guy in this class, in my personal opinion. Uh, I think they. I, I think it's just a matter of time and a matter of that relationship being developed, and I think they have a really, really good chance of getting him. Yeah, and and just to kind of wrap up this whole interview, um, I mean, there are plenty of reasons for Louisville football fans to get excited, and obviously recruiting, um, especially even this season, is one of them. But not only for the future, but under the leadership of Scott Satterfield and the staff, I mean, looking at 2019, what, what has you most excited or hopeful um, just – just for the upcoming season? You know, I, I, I watched every App State game probably twice. Um, so I, I really – I broke down some film over at Card Chronicle, um, you know, and, and posted some gifts of different plays that I think people should be excited about, showing some features of the offense, showing, showing some features of the defense. Um, I think the most exciting thing is honestly getting, a, getting back to a hard-playing, hard-nosed, fast, active team. Um, I, I, I was very frustrated with the last half of the whole moniker of Speed City and, you know, all that stuff. We're going to get fast guys. We're going to play fast. And they just they just didn't. They yeah. didn't recruit fast guys, even though they would tell everyone in the sun that, hey, these guys are fast. And that alone just was just silly to me. But they didn't play fast. Nothing about what they did was fast, was aggressive, was college football in my mind. And, and I think that we're going to see that uh, – we're going to, especially on the defensive side of the ball, Brian Brown is, is a, the animated defensive coordinator, kind of like a Brent Venables, not, not that crazy, but, you know, yelling, jumping, excited, doing, you know, fist bumping, all that stuff like that. And that's exciting. That's fun. I, I love that aspect of college football. But on the offensive side of the ball, I think we're going to see the type of offense that we were all promised uh, when Bobby Ruccino came back. You're really going to see that under Scott Satterfield. Uh, Lamar Jackson – made a lot of big plays. 
but the offense in general wasn't really a big play offense outside of him over the last over the three years he was here and we really saw that in year one and we saw that in year five that they didn't have the scheme to do those things let alone the players so I think we're going to see that more you're going to see more deep balls down the field you're going to see more you know bigger run plays uh the special teams is going to be better I'm really excited about them being able from a schematic standpoint do some of the things that I think excites uh, the fan base and I think Louisville football fans really love big plays and I think they're gonna we're gonna see those things. So that's what's exciting for me. I, I think that's really fun. And then you know in general, Scott Satterfield and the staff have just been a breath of fresh air. Uh, I think everybody has, has enjoyed their time so far and the way they go about doing things. And that's also fun because you know when you're losing games, which I think they're gonna lose games next year. You know we all expect that. Right. It's how you lose those games. Are you know it, it's totally different when you lose them by fifty. Instead of, hey, we lost in the fourth quarter because our guys were actually playing hard all four quarters. And I think we're going to see that. I think people will be able to respect that. And I think that'll be a good thing going forward. All right, Keith, one last question here. I think one of the things we've talked about the most here as a, as a team all summer is who's kind of the player that no one's talking about that is could be in a new position or could be in just a new place to succeed this season for you, Val. Who's the guy that you're in the back of your mind is like, all right, he's going to take a big step forward and he's going to be kind of the – uh, the guy that becomes a star on this team? Ooh, that's a tough one. So I, I'll go offense and defense. On offense, I think the guy that's going to have a breakout year that nobody's talking about is Justin Marshall. Um, I, I, I think he has been sitting the bench for God knows what reason. You've been, you're talking to five, us some Justin Marshall eight, fans right here, man. I hate to cut you off, but we are I mean, big Justin Marshall fans. I mean, he, he everything that I – and I went out to the, the spring showcase thing, and he was the best receiver out there. I mean, he, he made the most plays. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what is, why has this guy not been playing? And I, I remember as a recruit, he was a really good recruit. And I'm like, I, I, I haven't been able to understand why he didn't play at all. And, you know, some guys end up in Petrino's doghouse and they never they never got out. And maybe that's the situation here. But from a leadership standpoint, you know, he's been pointing out pointed out as a guy that's leading leading in the, in the weight room. Uh, I think that's a huge point. But just from a talent standpoint, he looks the part. He, he – Everything I saw out in the spring for that three or four hours I was out there, I was like, this is the guy. He's going to have a breakout year. It's just finding a way to get on the field ahead of Seth Dawkins or, or Des Fitzpatrick on the outside. But if you're playing well, you're going to play, you're going to get out on the field. And I think he's the guy on offense. Uh, on defense, I think the guy that's going to – I think C.J. Avery is a guy that people know. I think we all saw the, the flashes last year. I think he's going to have a monster year. I'm talking all ACC type of year in this new scheme with his skill set and if he stays healthy. Uh, he had he had some nagging injuries last year. He missed some time, but if he can stay on the field and stay healthy, he's going to have a huge year in that middle linebacker spot for them uh, in this new scheme because he can run and he can hit and he plays with great instincts. He he was one of the guys last year that wasn't out of position all the time, which was a huge issue for that defense. He was always there, but he was the only guy there. So that's that's the thing. Now you're going to see a better defense. And I think he's going to be the guy that flourishes from that. I think he'll have a huge year. Keith, thank you, man. Appreciate your time. We could talk football with you for hours. Brother, let's have you back on the show and talk a little bit sooner. Plug the site. Season. Plug, yeah. Where Plug. can we find you, Keith? Plug the site, man. So I'm the uh, deputy ever editor over at uh, cardchronicle.com. Um, I pretty much just stick to football. Uh, I was, obviously, Mike is, is just an unbelievable basketball writer, but 
if you guys are looking for any kind of football knowledge, I try to drop it as much as possible over there, and uh, I try to write as much as I can. Brother, we'll keep looking for the gifts because those things are fantastic. I love those pieces. I feel like you've taught me half the football that I know. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Keith. Now we want to welcome in our second guest to the show. It's Eric Woodyard of the Deseret News, who covers the Utah Jazz. Um, very specifically, I want to talk more about Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz's prospects going forward, but especially Mitchell. Um, I don't know if you know Eric, but we actually have kind of a, a budding um, fan base here in Louisville of bandwagon Utah Jazz fans. Um, since we don't have a, a team to really root for here in Louisville, um, we are huge Donovan Mitchell fans who followed him for years. Um, and specifically, you know, he's in, in, in a recent commercial for the new Spider-Man movie. Um, additionally, um, he's got a new shoe coming out uh, on July 1st. Um, so we want to bring you on. Um, I guess the first thing that we want to talk about was, was is, do you think that Donovan Mitchell is the biggest name or the most, the biggest brand to come through Utah um, since maybe Carl Malone? Correct me if I'm wrong. I'd probably say, uh, I'd probably say uh, Darren Williams is pretty big out here. That's um, true. That's true. That's one we didn't. Carlos Boozer was pretty big too, but probably Darren Williams. He's probably the biggest since Darren Williams. For sure. um, so, so people tell, forget how good Darren Williams. Darren Williams was a top two point guard in the league, man. So I mean, he was you, he, you, he didn't have the market. You know, the market like Donovan is as far as like marketing side the things. But he was he's pretty he's pretty big. You know what? We're we're pretty familiar with Darren Williams around here. But take you back to the 2004 Final Four. Louisville was in that uh, against Darren Williams in Illinois. It was it D Brown and uh, Luther Luther Head? So they we're very nasty. familiar with Darren Williams. Man, right. Donovan Mitchell is absolutely blowing up. Like absolutely blowing up. You know, like Presley said, we've got a vested interest here, man. What is it like out in Utah covering a guy who really right now, it's out of free agency, is kind of the biggest talk of the NBA? It's crazy, man. Because uh, I actually my first season, I started with Donovan's first season, so. Um, I kind of experienced it with him. He was coming off the bench at first, you know what I mean? And then, like, uh, he started getting more and more opportunities. It seemed like after that dunk that he had against the Lakers, I don't know if y'all remember that putback he had. Right. Yeah. It seemed like that's when that's when things really, like, took off, man. And it was like sometimes we would just look in the press roll and just be like, man, did, did he really just do that? You know what I mean? And it just went from him being, okay, he would be a solid rookie, maybe averaging maybe 10 or 11 points to, man, this dude getting up to 20. Man, this dude hit 35. Man, this dude hit 40. And then, like, you could just see the growth, man. And then after, like, after the dunk contest, that's when it really took off. And then, um, obviously, this year, and I think he's going to even come back even better, you know, next year. Just I know he's he's, he's healthy entering, entering the offseason, which he wasn't last year. So I think it's going to be a big year for him. Have you ever seen veteran guys on other teams rally around and want to be around a rookie so much like Donovan Mitchell was last year? I mean, I think the Oklahoma City game was the one where everybody saw, you know, you had Paul George, Carmel Anthony lining up, Russell Westbrook lining up to talk to Donovan. Saw the same thing with LeBron, same thing with D-Wade. Like, have you ever seen that before? Oh, man, um, I don't know, man. I, I had to think, you know, think about that. But personally, I mean, it's the first time I saw that, you know, because like I said, it's my first time covering this part. Like, I pretty much experienced everything, you know, with him too. So um, it was kind of crazy. It's, I mean, Really seeing Russell Westbrook embrace him, you know, uh, that was that was pretty crazy. But 
Yeah, I don't know, man. It's probably been probably maybe since like LeBron or something. You know what I mean? But you know, now the media attention is even more hyped than ever now too. So you got to think about that. Like every little thing is being reported. So um, you know that that probably is kind of the reason behind it too. You know, he's in the social media era. It, what has gone into that? It, it, do you think it is the social media area? Do you think that it's just uh, Donovan's personality, just who he is? Um, or or do you, what do you think kind of plays into him just being such a marketable guy? I mean, he, this is a guy who hasn't even made an all-star game yet, yet he's a, he's a household name in the NBA. I think it's a little bit of everything. I think it's social media, him arriving in Utah at the perfect time where, I mean, they needed a star. They needed a guy. Gordon Hayward was leaving. And, I mean, just a lot of the things that he does off the court, too. You know what I mean? Like giving out his shoe every game right. and um, just popping up at random uh, <laughs> random backyard barbecues and three-on-three tournaments, man. This dude is everywhere. So I think it's just his personality mixed with the social media era, mixed with uh, he has a strong marketing team behind him. Um, I think it's a little bit of everything, man. But most, most importantly, uh, none of it would be possible if he wasn't uh, playing good basketball and, um, you know, being a guy that's likable. So I think, you know, guys are just as good as him in the league with just that likable trait. You know, not everybody has that. Because even when Kyle Malone and John Stockton were here, they were huge, but they didn't have those type of endorsements. And I think it was just because his personality as well, that sells. Right, because, I mean, it almost seemed like at one point he had as many highlights off the court as he did on the court. I mean, with, like you said, every other night he was somewhere in that city uh, doing something for somebody. And, I mean, the, the guy is just a, a story-generating machine in terms of uh, just his humanitarian efforts and also his big plays as well. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that probably, as, as, as you're saying, is one of the reasons why he's the perfect storm for a marketing uh, anything, really, whether it be a shoe or a movie or, or what have you. I mean, the, the guy's just a all-in-one package. Yeah, I, I'll tell you all a funny story out here, too. So it's a, uh, it's a gas station slash, like, little store called The Maverick right downtown where I live at. So I live like close to the arena. So I always go over there. I usually walk over there and this is older, this is older black lady. She works in the front. And uh, a couple of times I went in there, she don't know what I do or like nothing. I'm associated. I never said anything, but she just like, Oh yeah, I just missed Donovan Mitchell. He come in here and get his gummies. Like a couple of times I went in there. So he always like, it'll be like randomly popping up. And, like these crazy cars are like Maverick gas stations getting gummy bears in the middle of the night. stuff. So I, 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 I joke with him about it at, at one of the games and, I was like, man, this lady told me you always come in there and get gummy bears. And, like, he knew who she was and everything. So, like, it's it's genuine, man. Like, it, it's not, you know, just stuff that's made up. I'm here, and I see it up close. So, it's, it's real genuine. It's been a busy couple of days for you guys out there with uh, the Rudy Gobert winning the Defensive Player of the Year um, in the trade for Mike Conley. I want to talk about that for a second, though. Utah has been in the market for another star for, you know, a couple of deadlines now. They finally are able to get their guy, Mike Conley. What does this do for the Jazz in terms of helping them move up the West, and and how much better do you see them now that they have a bona fide All Star point guard? Yeah, I think they were already contenders. I think um, if they're able to stay healthy, you know, I think he fits in perfectly, man. I mean, you see, he just won the Sportsmanship and Teammate of the Year award, so you don't have to worry about him coming in with any type of ego. Uh, everything I hear about him is he's a great guy, so I think. Um, you already see him and Donovan putting in work um, even before the the deal is not even official since July 6th. So he's already embracing the culture, embracing the city, uh, embracing the state. Um, and I think uh, I think it, it puts him, um, you know, in that in that category where they can seriously compete for a title if they stay healthy. Because I mean, we know Golden State got all the injuries, so I think the West is wide open. What what else do they do? They you know obviously Ricky Rubio is going to move on. Derek Favors up in the air whether or not what he's going to do. You lose Jay Crowder in that trade. 
I would imagine that there's probably a little bit of cap space and flexibility. I don't know their cap situation, um, yeah. but but you have to get another guy to go along with these two because Rudy Gobert, Joe Ingles, those are great pieces, but there's not enough. So what do they do in terms of free agency this summer? I'm not sure. I mean, they they have until July 6th to decide what they're going to do with Derek Favors. Um, he's if they do bring him back, he's owed 16.9 million. So uh, if they are to keep him, they they don't have many options. They got like 4.7 million dollars left or something like that. Like a like near a mid level exception or something like that, so they can bring in a, you know one of the second or third tier type free agents like a Wilson Chandler or somebody like that. But um, I mean, I, I think you know keeping the team mostly intact. I, I I don't see them letting go of Derek Favors. I think Derek Favors is very underrated. I don't know if people watch the guys a lot, but I mean he brings a lot to the team. Um, and I would like to see him running back basically with the team, which is adding Conley. I think they were uh, a step away last year just having another guy that can create. And I right. think you will see a much more efficient Donovan um, and a guy that, you know, because you have a guy that can take on that role of scoring and, uh, you know, making great decisions. I think Rubio is a great player out here, but, I mean, he couldn't take him over the hump. And I think Mike Conley can do that. He's rejuvenated, being in a new setting after 12 seasons in Memphis. So I think uh, I think they pretty much had the pieces, man. I wouldn't do nothing stupid. You know, I just would mainly keep my roster intact, guard to somebody else and just give it another shot. Uh, first couple of years with Donovan, man, he, he just continually gets better, and each and every night he surprises you with something different. Um, we've seen that we've at seen of times he's kind of hit the wall early last season, towards the end of his first year. He's kind of you know seemed like he was going to start to slow down production wise, and then finds a way to just be incredible when the Jazz need him. For for you, what do you think is the the thing that he needs to do next in order to take the next step into his career, which is all-star guard and getting his team deep into the playoffs, which he, I mean, he's already done a little bit of. So it's a couple of things. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people don't know last year, you know, he heard his, he heard his toe. So he didn't really get a lot of time to train. So he was doing a lot of different media things. So people thought like, man, why is he doing all this? He's not working on his game, but he wasn't clear to actually train. So I think this summer is going back to the fundamentals training, putting in work, adding new things, you know, and I feel like he kind of worked his way until last season because he, entered it not really fully in shape so I think coming into camp fully in shape um it's gonna be a big thing and I think uh you know a lot of times he was inefficient but it was a lot of times that he had to be forcing so many things I mean his usage rate was crazy so I think um them adding that extra guard is gonna really make him a lot better because he's not gonna have to force things I watch him every night and it's like you know he start off shooting really well then he get tired by the end of the night because he got to do so much so I think uh bringing something new and working on his game this summer and uh, the Jazz did a good thing by bringing in another guy who can take pressure off of him and create shots. So he won't have to force everything. So I think that's the biggest thing, man, is just uh, mixing it up, not shooting so many threes, attacking the basket. Things that he started doing at the end of the season that he wasn't doing in the beginning. It was a lot of pressure and expectations, and I right. feel like that was weighing on him early last year. And now, you know, I think uh, he, he's comfortable in his role. So I think he's, he's heading in the right path. Right. It, it, it's picking up. Uh, Conley, is that kind of like a win-now move for them? I mean, because you look at, with, at Mitchell – you know, the, the Jazz are more of a small market team um, in in the era of, of team people kind of moving around and trying to create these uh, maybe like super teams. Um, is is it important now to maybe get to a Western Conference Finals um, to kind of take the next next step in in order to maybe take another step towards securing having Mitchell there as a franchise player for a long time? Yeah, it's definitely a win now because. Uh... Rudy Gobert's entering his prime. I mean, he's 20, he just turned – actually, it's his birthday today. He just turned 27. So, wow. he's entering his prime. He want to win now. Donovan want to win now. They tasted the success. You know, they reached the second round of the playoffs his rookie year. So, um, 
obviously it's a win now because Conley is only signed for two years. He's owed almost seventy million over two years. So this is a you know the win now. Let's see what's gonna happen right now. Let's try this right now because uh, the opportunities, you know, you don't get these opportunities that often. You know, so I think it definitely is a win now, and I think uh, um, they they want to get started. You know, and uh, you can feel it out here. I think they really feel like they have a shot at the title, you know, or at least a shot at compete. Right, and is you know, there? I think, uh, I was going to say, is there talk locally about is this was this year the year before the year? Like, is next year is that kind of the expectation for them to take the next step next year? Yeah, because I mean, it was a lot of expectations this year, and they got off to a slow start. You know, they got off to a slow starts the last two seasons, man. They started below five hundred, you know, uh, at the All Star break. You know, and I think, right, uh, yeah. So they want to they want to start off um, and get a great momentum going, and uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they feel like it's the season. Even nationally, there was a lot of talk of them being. Uh, taking that next step, and they didn't last year. They started so slow, and they picked up later. Um, partly it was because of the schedule, too. They had a really tough schedule in the beginning. But, yeah, I think it is the year, and that's that's what, how, how everybody feels. Even if it's not necessarily the year, they feel like they can be in a championship uh, contention. Eric, we got one more question for you, buddy. The shoes that come out you know, for the next two weeks, I don't <laughs> I don't know where you stand in terms of excitement, but I think that the, the statistics are going to show that Louisville is the market to buy all the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the four colors that came out today that we, we saw that uh, Donovan Mitchell tweeted out in the Adidas team, if you had to pick one of those, the pink and black, the green and black, the red and blue, and the red and gold, which shoe are you going with? I, I like the Venom one with the pink, man. Uh, yes. yeah, he's been rocking them all year, man. So, you know, I, we've been seeing a uh, different – and I think it's been fun, too, because I saw the actual process behind it. Like, when he first broke them out, like, the heel was so big. And, like, that's why he didn't start off wearing them at first. They were still, like, tweaking it. So, like, to get to the final version, it's pretty fun. Like, to see him, I remember he was in Portland one time, and um, they had some uh, Adidas guys come out, and he was, like, wear testing them before, like, a game. And just seeing the whole process of how the shoe developed and how the heel was fit to how you wanted it to be, it's a fun process. It reminds me of being a little kid. Like, I'm not comparing him to Allen Iverson at all, but I just remember when Iverson was dropping his shoes and all the excitement around him. It's kind of that excitement with Donovan being a smaller guard and, you know, coming in the market that had previously – you know, didn't have a lot of, you know, marketable guys like that. So it's it's real fun, man. Everybody's super excited here. I think you're going to see all the little kids in the Spider-Mitchell shoes, especially the Spider-Man colorway. So it'd be fun. And especially the mindfulness to keep it at a price point to where so many kids will be able to wear them. I I, I mean, I think that just speaks volumes to, to his maturity already, just knowing, you know, I don't, I just don't want to release a shoe. I want to release a shoe that a lot of people can actually afford. And I think that's huge as right. well. Just keeping keeping the kids uh, mindful. Right. That's all. That's all his mom, Nicole, man. Nicole raised a good kid, man. And uh, I think you know he just honor his mother with everything he do, man. And uh, yeah, definitely. I wouldn't expect nothing different from him, honestly. Eric, man, we appreciate your time. You guys can follow him on Twitter at e underscore Woodyard. He follows the Jazz all year long. You're getting Donovan Mitchell news left and right. Eric, we need you to do us one favor on your way out, though. If you could get a meeting with the Utah Jazz front office for the 2020 draft and let them know about Jordan Wara and Stephen Enoch, we would be greatly appreciative of that. We would love to see some Cardinals reunited. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. No doubt. Shout out to Louisville, too, man. I've been down there, man. I ate at Griff's. I had the catfish, man. They were amazing. I visited Ali Center, so I love Louisville down there. The guys I met, the vibe, uh, everything down there is great, man. So uh, maybe I can get back again soon. It was great down there. Hey, we'd love to have you anytime, man. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you, man. All right. And that's going to be another episode of the Big Red Louie podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. 
Thank you to our guests, Keith Wynn of Card Chronicle and Eric Woodyard of the Deseret News. It's great getting to talk to those guys. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at the Big Red Louie if you're not already. And also uh, BigRedLouie.com. You can find great articles, great content every single day between Presley, myself, and our contributors. Thank you to Alex. We'll talk to you guys soon.